Hello, welcome once again to the SmackDown 6 podcast. I am your host, Matt Vaughn, and uh, every week I have a guest co-host on the SmackDown 6 podcast, and uh, very excited to have once again with me as my co-host, Chris Dimitrenko. Chris, how are you doing? Doing great, Matt. Happy to be back on the pod. Great to have you here. Uh, I'm really excited to talk about this show today. I think it's an interesting show. Uh, this is the go-home show before Survivor Series 2002, which is great. We're in Columbus, Ohio. and uh, But first, before we get to the show itself and to Velocity and all the fun rigmarole that we usually get to here on the SmackDown 6 podcast, I want to ask you a question mm-hmm. because we're on the cusp of Survivor Series 2002. Chris, do you have a favorite Survivor Series match? It could be an, a match itself or one of those the, the classic Survivor Series match with the, the eliminations and everything like that. Do you have one in mind? Well, I think about The Undertaker's big debut. That was mm-hmm. that was obviously, you know, even though it wasn't a, an incredible match, like when you're asking me what do I think of in terms of iconic moments, then I certainly think of, of Survivor Series. So, and maybe that's just because The Undertaker did retire this past year at right. Survivor Series, and that's fresh in my mind, but I'll always associate Undertaker with that event. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's pretty impressive to be a wrestler who has a, a pay-per-view that's kind of come to be about you a little bit, right? With the Undertaker there, and he's had a lot of great, uh, great matches there over the years too. I think you know, I I'm going to skew relatively new here, which is not my my usual bent here on the SmackDown Six podcast, but I really enjoyed uh, when they did the champion versus champion match a few years ago between Brock Lesnar and AJ Styles, because mm-hmm. uh, it was just mm-hmm. like a, it was it was one of the better. Uh, modern versions of like a Sting versus Vader match from the early 90s WCW. Like it was just a perfect kind of big man, little guy match. And, and I mean, also, it's it was also a dream match for me where at this point in 2002, I'm watching uh, Brock Lesnar and loving him. And I'm watching the the weekly NWA TNA pay-per-views they were doing at the time in um, 2002. And so uh, to see them kind of both go head to head and at the top of their game and the great crowd and everything like that, it was great fun. So I think it was 2017 or 18. I know he had, uh, Brock Lesnar had a, uh, a match against Daniel Bryan, I believe, the next year because uh, he was champion then too. But anyway, some great Survivor Series matches. So yeah, go back and watch the uh, Undertaker's debut, which I'm sure you can find on eight different compilations on the WWE Network, if I had to guess. It's probably on there 15 times. There's probably... Oh, oh uh, definitely. Yeah. yeah watch definitely. one of those, the, the, like, the six-hour, like, hey, best of Undertaker matches. I always, I get a kick out of whenever they have, like, hey, it's the best of Eddie Guerrero, and it's like eight hours long. You're like, I would, I would like to watch that. I often... Uh, there's, there's eight hours long. That's a that's a commitment. They usually go to like four, and I and you know what? I will often be like, I'll be like, you know what? I'm gonna pop in for a couple matches, and then I'm gonna save my spot, and I'll come back for another one. <laughs> that's usually my go-to. But, um, but yeah. Anyway, always fun to check those out on the network. Uh, you know, there's a good. There's I think there's Macho Man one I've been meaning to check out because I like my Macho Man. But yeah, so we're talking about the November fourteenth, two thousand two uh, edition of SmackDown. Uh, it's like I said, it was the show before Survivor Series, so they're they're trying to make you buy a pay-per-view tonight. That is their goal. They want you to watch next week, sure, but even more than that, they want you to plunk down your probably sixty dollars, maybe fifty, uh, maybe forty, because maybe sixty was this WrestleMania number at that point. Uh, write it and tell us. Uh, so uh, yeah, so the show was taped on November twelfth, two thousand and two. Uh, it was at the Nationwide Arena in Columbus, Ohio, home of the Blue Jackets, I believe. I'm almost certain it was. And Chris, we talk about the TV ratings here week to week because uh, you know we want to keep track to see where SmackDown is in this era, in this time where wrestling is defining it, where it's standing at odds with Raw, who, which is a more star-driven show, but it's also more promos, and the wrestling's not as good. And this week, SmackDown got a 3.6 rating, and it did, in fact, beat Raw this week. So SmackDown continues to have a pretty good uh, November 2002, so good for them. 
And uh, so let me talk about last week's episode first. So the uh, the centerpiece of the show last week was a two out of three falls match for the WWE Tag Team titles. And it took all three falls and then some to decide the winners. And it was the team of Rey Mysterio and Edge who came out on top. Uh, also, Al Wilson popped the question to Don Marie, and they are now officially engaged. Wedding bells are ringing for that household, which is it's very exciting for them. And lastly, Brock Lesnar beat Eddie Guerrero. And then got ambushed and thrown off the ramp by Big Show, who has now done, now done that to Undertaker and Big and Brock. Uh, and I wonder if Brock is okay. We don't know. We don't know if Brock is okay. We last saw him fall off a stage, and not, and Undertaker's been gone since then. He'll be gone till Royal Rumble. So who knows? Maybe we'll see Brock tonight. I think. But uh, before before we get to uh, this week's episode of SmackDown, we're on Velocity, and Chris, we're the, we're the 26th episode of Velocity. Um, I was uh, it, just to put put yourself in the mind here where. Uh, you'll be seeing these matches on a Saturday night. Uh, it's probably 10 o'clock or something like that. Uh, you know, you, you either came back from a bar or maybe you never went there. Or just kind of a quiet Saturday night at home. This is kind of the vibe we're going for. And so there's a couple of dark matches to start. Chris Canyon defeated Rene Dupree. Uh, and so I don't know. How familiar are you with Canyon as a WCW wrestler, Chris? I remember him vaguely. Yeah. Wasn't he kind of like a Damian Priest kind of looking character, sort of yeah. tall? Um, he had a good look. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a, d- a decent comparison there. Now, the crazy thing about this is, so Kenyon is facing Rene Dupree, and Rene Dupree famously was very young when he debuted in WWE. This is before his debut. And if I have my dates right, he was actually 18 years old here. Wow. Yeah, he was going to turn 19 in December, but in November 20, 2002, he's fully 18 years old, um, which is wild to me. Uh, now, he lost to Chris Kenyon, but I think he's you know he's going to debut in a mere month's time. I think maybe it's early 2003, as far as I remember. He's on Raw, so I, I am fine with not remembering that perfectly well. Because <laughs> it's, not, it's not, that pop- not that podcast, which is fine. Um, another interesting one here. Lance Storm and Shelton Benjamin defeated Nova, from w- ECW rather, and the Big Valboski. So this is weird for a few reasons. So Lance Storm is a Raw guy, as far as I can recall. Um, and uh, he's here for some reason. Uh, and, you know, he runs a wrestling school now. So maybe he's just doing developmental stuff for all we know. Don't quite get it. Uh, and then, do you, okay, so, Chris, I don't know if you, do you know who Nova is? I have zero recollection of Nova. I'll be entirely honest. Do you remember Simon Dean, the fitness instructor wrestler? Nova, that's a fantastic shtick. And I think it's time for another fitness instructor I think character. you're right. Well, especially now with Peloton and stuff like that, right? You can make it a whole cult of personality where it's like the uh, – I can't remember the name of the famous Peloton guy, but you know somebody who's just like really into themselves. I could, That's a great point. Bring it back. Absolutely. So, I mean, I mean, sticks with like a job are, are never fail. I mean, even a sommelier. We've got a sommelier now in 2020 right. on WWE, and that's fantastic. So, no, I, I do wish I, I, had, uh, I had witnessed – what was his name again? Uh, Simon Dean. Simon Dean. No. Simon Dean. Yeah. Can't help you there. That was the guy. So uh, I, I have seen him a few times. I watched. I don't remember which Royal Rumble I watched recently, but he was he was in it, which is great. Uh, in the lead up to, uh, well, now months ago, Royal Rumble uh, when it was on. But but yeah, those were so those were the dark matches. So the people, uh, the fine folks at Columbus saw that, but you did not see that on Velocity. What you did see was Chuck Palumbo defeating Crash Holly. Uh, sorry. Just crash. I keep saying Holly. It's a natural kind of reflex here. He did kind of a weird spinebuster thing. And the thing that I'm thinking with this, besides the fact that Chuck Palumbo is stuck on velocity and just absolutely on an iceberg there, um, I felt like he's trying to. They're trying to make him more of a power wrestler because before this he was doing a super kick and now he's doing kind of a spinebuster thing. So I think they're trying to reinvent him a little bit. But there's not much hope for our friend Chuck Palumbo. 
Did anything of note happen to him? Like once the whole Billy and Chuck thing was done, was that basically it for him? He goes on after this to, I believe he joins the full-blooded Italians. Uh, and I don't know if he has a biker gimmick either before that or after that. Um, yeah, it's not, it's it's kind of all downhill from here or uphill, whichever's worse mm. for poor Chuck Palumbo, who, you know, he has talent. He's got, I don't know. My, my buddy Brian, of course, is always going to talk about how much he loves Chuck Palumbo. He deserves, he deserves the love. Uh, also, Albert beat Shannon Moore with a Baldo bomb. Pretty straightforward. I don't, you know, Shannon Moore versus Albert does not look like a very competitive match anyway. <laughs> He's got nope. like fully 100 pounds or more on top of him. And then Devon beat Funaki with uh, the saving graces, kind of, he would lift him up in a reverse DDT. Um, and that's interesting because that is the end of Devon on SmackDown or Velocity, the end of his Rever gimmick, and the end of being a heel because it's Survivor Series. Well, I don't want to spoil Survivor Series, but Devon will no longer be on SmackDown, will no longer be a bad guy, and will no longer be a reverend. He might be returning back to his old gimmick with his old brother. Who knows? So that's it. So, so salud, uh, Devon. Thank you for being here and uh, for losing aggressively to so many people in ways that may be sad for you. Um, but apparently, apparently he liked his rougher gimmick. So good for him. More power to him. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, I think we talked before about how r- religious gimmicks on WWE never tend to work very well and yeah. always seem to be written by people who have very little familiarity with with religious subjects. Yeah, and and it's funny because it never they never did anything interesting with it. They didn't pl- probe anything. They didn't kind of plumb the depths that it could be. It was just kind of like. Ah, uh, he says testify. He's got uh, Jesus fish stuff on him. That's it. It's like you could try to do something. I mean, they should always try to do interesting, deep things with gimmicks. But oh well. Uh, and well, so you yeah. know that with the new day, when they when their shtick was being developed, they were being pitched uh, as kind of a contemporary Reverend Devon sort of preacher type guys. And really, they they didn't go quite in that direction, but you can sort of see how in, in some ways they're, they're influenced by that idea. So that's, that's maybe where you could see the, the legacy of, of Reverend Devon is with the new day. Interesting. I, the, the fact that anybody backstage was like, it can be like the Reverend Devon gimmick. People should just like throw vegetables at that person who said that. It's like, that was not a success. We, cause they didn't just, they didn't abandon it. They didn't just abandon it or kind of try to evolve it. They were like, no, no, we're going backwards with Devon. We're going back to what he used to do. Um, well, you know, you, if you yeah. know anything about WWE is it's, you know, that they're not afraid to try a bad idea again, just because something <laughs> doesn't work the first time. Doesn't mean they're going to give it another two or three kicks at the can. Yeah. Well, in some ways that's honorable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You could look, you could look at it. Yeah, sure. Most optimistic to take on it. So, hmm. this week's episode of SmackDown, the November fourteenth, two thousand two episode, uh, we start with a video package, which almost kind of sepia toned, <laughs> almost the uh, kind of beginning of uh, Wizard of Oz style thing. And so we're seeing Big Show and Paul Heyman, who keep repeating that Brock Lesnar can't beat the Big Show. And uh, while we're seeing, we're hearing them say that, we see footage of Brock getting run into a post, being put through the announce table, all that stuff. So. Brock is hearing this from both his opponent and his manager, who, again, I want to challenge that maybe his manager shouldn't tell him that. Uh, it just seems like an ill-advised move. Now, we know now there ends up being more drama with Paul Heyman, but we'll see that. And so we even see last week when Brock, he broke a TV backstage, and then he got chided by Paul Heyman, who decided to not join him at ringside for his match against Eddie Guerrero to teach Brock a lesson. 
Um, I gotta say, Chris, I, I enjoyed seeing a tube TV get smashed like that because I never got the chance to do that to a tube TV, and I'm just jealous. Uh, neither did I, but there's there's probably still time for you, Matt, if you want to fulfill that <laughs> fantasy. That's true. You know what? I pass in my building. There's often like a like on the way to the garbage room. There's like bigger stuff, and they still have those big tube TVs there. Uh, no one would know if I just picked one up and dropped it. Probably no not. I mean, it's in the garbage room. Go exactly. for it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do Chris, if you ever just get a, a text from me and it's just a video with no context, just watch the video. because It's going to be me smashing a TV. Fantastic. This is going to happen. So, yeah. So, so Brock is, he's left alone with uh, his Eddie Guerrero match. And so after his match, which he won, uh, we see that big show attack Brock. He tossed him off the, off the stage, off the ramp, and he landed on uh, some equipment there. And then so we, it's kind of a funny transition because we see the package end and then we are actually watching someone watch the package end. And it's Paul Heyman, who is live here in Columbus, Ohio. And Mark Lloyd comes up to Paul Heyman and he asks about Brock's condition. And Paul Heyman says, well, why don't you ask about the Undertaker's condition? Because he had the same thing happen to him and he hadn't been heard from him in about three weeks, which is kind of funny because then he just goes also on to say, oh, yeah, OK, by the way, Brock has a broken rib. And he said he's not going to be here tonight by not just the doctor's orders, but also Paul Heyman's orders. So that's a whole thing. Paul Heyman is trying to, he's really trying to take care of this whole situation. And so Paul turns to leave, um, and then he nearly puts his face in Big Show's big sweaty chest because Big Show's standing right behind him. And uh, Big Show says he's going to call out Brock tonight, no matter what, even, even if he's not here. And Paul Heyman looks very worried about that. Which, again, if Brock's not there, you know, who, who cares? It's also funny, this idea of calling someone out, I say with air quotes, is a kind of a thing that runs through this whole show, and it's like, <laughs> they act like it's a whole, like, it's the modern-day equivalent of taking off your glove and slapping a man in the face and challenging him to a duel. Right, yeah. Like, ooh, is he actually going to call him out? He's oh, he... let that happen. Yeah. Because And all it is, it's just a guy goes through and goes, I'm calling you out. And you're like, what? Yeah. What, is, what is the manner in which, like, what is actually materially happening here? Because <laughs> it's like, it's not even me like, I'm going to go to the ring and start doing your mama jokes until you come out and beat me up. Um, it's just like, I'm just going to call you out. Okay. And, and maybe that's why... You know, th this being the running storyline throughout the show, um, I can't say that that, you know, the, the confrontation that was inevitable would would totally grip me. I mean, or maybe I was just distracted by this look of the big show that I hadn't seen before with like the <laughs> the black jeans and and this like long extended mustache that goes like down past his, his mouth. And and I was trying to figure out what they were going for with that. Like it in some ways, it almost looked like a like later era Undertaker. Yeah, a little bit. It, I'm, I'm really I'm really glad that you are encountering this Big Show look because we've seen it evolve in the last few weeks, which is weird. And we talked about it on the podcast, but uh, the first week he shows up, he's wearing a singlet, like kind of like Kurt Angle, but it's like kind of like briefs, and it's like oh, and he's Big Show. Um, there's been times in his career where he's in really good shape. This is not one of them. No, I um, noticed that. He's mm -hmm. not in great shape. And so he didn't look great in the singlet. And then next week, Chris, he comes out and he's wearing a shirt, pants, and sneakers. And he wrestles. I mean, not sneakers, but like boots. He does not. It's, it looks like street gear, but they make no mention of the fact that it's street gear. <laughs> and then the next week, he's wearing what he's wearing now, which is he's wearing the singlet, but he's wearing pants. And you're mm -hmm. like, okay. Like, I don't know. And a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, I was talking to my brother, Will, and I, and I have issues with the whole Big Show thing because I don't think they're – they're just telling us he's different or good. And it's like, I've seen the big show. I don't think he's good and he's not different. And I think they should have gone. I think they should have just like given him a new gimmick or something. Like I proposed with Will. I was like, call him Goliath and make him like a more insane version of the giant and just make him more scary. I don't know. Like do something. Cause right now it's like, 
oh man, Big Show. It's like he got. I saw him lose on Raw like eight weeks ago. Like I don't know. He probably lost to Goldust. Like it's not. He wasn't impressive. Right, but he has undergone two different costume changes since then. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe things are different right now. I mean, perhaps that's how you and I should be approaching our lives. Like, if things aren't going so well, you know, just big new mustache, um, wear some, like, like really baggy black jeans, you know, uh, underneath, like, a wrestling singlet. I love that. I, his mustache, I'm so glad you touched it. His mustache is really weird because it looks like it should be a goatee. But then when he lifts his neck up, you're like, no, no, that bottom, those two things that go really far under <laughs> his mouth, they don't connect. It nope. is a mustache. It's such a weird choice. And it, it's weirder because he's he's in the main event. <laughs> like he's the most, he's like the second most important person on this show. And it's like, oh my gosh. So from there we go to the beautiful people intro and at this point, when the time we're recording, I can only imagine that the beautiful people will be edited out of SmackDown because Marilyn Manson is going through a uh, a, a cancellation in, in, on live TV at this point. Um, but who knows? It's the music, and they might keep them on. Who knows? Uh, and then we see a graphic tonight announcing uh, Chris uh, Benoit and Kurt Angle are going to be wrestling. Uh, we've seen the match a lot recently. We're not done yet. It's not a bad matchup, so I'm not that mad about it. Like, whatever. I was excited to hear oh, about yeah. it. Mm-hmm. It is one of those things where you're like, you know what? That's going to be good. If they give them two minutes, they give them 18 minutes. It's going to be a good match. You know, and certainly we... that much more than the big show calling out of, of Brock Lesnar. Um, who's, who is calling out? For, I don't even remember who's supposed to be calling out who. But regardless, certainly it, I, maybe that maybe they, they put Angle and Benoit in there um, as something for purist fans to look forward to. Yeah, and it seems like that seems like a focus of theirs at the time too, where they're like, we're gonna do kind of the more standard, like here's a main event monster versus other monster, uh, but also we're gonna have these guys that I mean, like the SmackDown Six, these guys who kind of are the glue that hold the show together, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, we start with it, we start with the SmackDown Six match because it's Edge versus Chavo, and uh, Edge comes out, he's on the ramp, and he's declared a nine-time tag team champion by Michael Cole. As he comes down to the ring, he's got his tag team gold around his waist. He has a big SmackDown pop when he comes out, the, ah, which is great. Nine times sounded like a long, a lot to me, but uh, I realized that you know he was with Christian for a long time. They would flip the tag titles constantly, and right. he also has one with um, with Hulk Hogan. So that also helps. That's true, um, and he's probably picked up quite a few since then. Oh, at this point, yeah, I don't even know what he's at now. I could look it up, and I don't. I would just treat all the tag titles the same because I'm gonna be like, he's a World, he's a SmackDown, he's a Raw. And, Anyway, but yeah, it's probably with Rated RKO or whoever else who would have been tag team partners with. Um, it'd be a lot at this point, I'm sure. And so uh, we see highlights from last Thursday's tag team title contest, which explains why, why Edge has the belt, essentially, because they did the, the two or three falls match. And uh, and then we see the graphic for the triple threat tag team match at Survivor Series. And um, have you ever seen that match, Chris? We're going to talk about it next week, but... Um, no, I haven't. But yeah. uh, certainly everything that I saw in SmackDown, that made me... That was the match at Survivor Series that I wanted to see. Yeah. And, and it makes sense. Like, the thing that bothers me a little bit about it is that it's not as good as it should be with it. And I don't know if that's because um, because it's a triple threat tag team match and it's a hard to kind of make that match work or uh, it's because it's an elimination. I'm not totally sure. Um, I once suggested to a friend that they should have made that match a TLC match and because <laughs> that would have been amazing. <laughs> Um, but they weren't going to do that. Have a TLC match and an Elimination Chamber match the same night. Although I think they should have because it would have been amazing. Um, I would watch it at least. So Edge and Chavo, they trade holds to start and Edge kind of makes the most of it. He gets the advantages there and Chavo slows Edge down with a drop kick and he, he clotheslines him out of the ring. But then back in, Chavo gets flapjack for two. 
And uh, then we see, we cut backstage, we see Rey Mysterio, he's wearing a little Spider-Man style mask, and he's cheering his tag team partner on backstage, which I thought was sweet. They're like, oh, let's get a footage of him being a good, a good friend to him. And then uh, Chavo gets a kind of a low blow when he kicks the rope into Edge's groin as he gets to the ring, uh, which I hadn't seen before. I was like, that's smart. <laughs> Technically, you're just kicking a rope. You're right, Morally, not illegal there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so then Chavo takes advantage of that. Uh, he does a kind of a Cobra Clutch style like head submission sort of thing, but Edge gets out of it, and uh, Chavo goes to the top rope, uh, and he does what I would call kind of a classic top rope nothing, because uh, he just jumps off and essentially lands so Edge can hit, hit a dropkick on him, which looks good. It looked really good. I yeah. mean, there was the a real connection good. there. Yeah, you know, yeah. I thought that Chavo, like, as often with those those kind of moves, the, the guy who's getting hit, like, isn't really trying to jump off the top rope. Right. But I thought Chavo sold it really well. Because like, he was actually going for something. Yeah, because you can go the thing where, like, you, your body kind of stays stocks, like, at a 90-degree angle with a camera. Exactly. But it's like if you do a little bit more where you're like you're leading maybe a 45 or maybe a 135, I don't know the right angle thing I think about. But if you do it a little bit more, it looks a bit more like you're trying to do it. I, I will say it is better. Mm-hmm. Um, I did in my notes, I said it was a, a sort of top rope nothing. So that was my allusion to the fact that it was, it was a bit crisper than I'm suggesting. Uh, so Edge with the advantage and he gets the Edge-O-Matic for two. That's the I feel like I have to explain some of these randomly named moves sometimes where anyway, it's like an X factor where you drive your face into the mat only. It's your head and it's from the behind the Edge-O-Matic. Um, did he use that at the, when he came back, or or since uh, more recently at the Royal Rumble twenty twenty one here? I don't know if he did. I know that because he's had so many finishing moves over the years, so many. he did bring back a few of them, but it was so hard for me to tra- keep track. I mean, I think of Edge with the spear. That's that's the finisher. Yeah, that's that's the one that we'll always associate with him. Yeah, he used the DDT a lot more here, but it, I mean, in later years, the spear would become. Uh, ex- almost, ex- almost exclusively the, the uh, finisher for him. So uh, Edge punches Chavo in the corner, and the ref tries to stop. It tries to kind of get in and stop Edge. It's kind of a bit of a heel move. Don't really know what they're going for there. So that was interesting. Uh, and then uh, Chavo ducks away from a spear in the corner, and then he bounces off the ropes. He gets a spear of his own for two, which I like that as a move from Chavo. Good, good smart play in there. And then uh, Chavo gets kind of half tossed onto the top rope, and they have a few counters. And then Chavo goes for a tornado DDT, but it gets blocked. And Edge hits an execution DDT, and he gets this emphatic win. Um, and poor Chavo, he never succeeds when it counts. You know, he can get these velocity matches, he can do all these things, but head-to-head with Edge, and he just gets summarily dumped. So good little good little match to start us off here. And, uh, you know, they're trying to do this uh, storyline all night with all the people who are in the match on Sunday are all in their own matches, and this good kind of six-way drama in there, which I thought was pretty good. Absolutely. I thought it did really set the tone. And yeah, as a go home episode before a pay per view, they, I mean, so much of the show was dedicated to this tag team match. And that's just not something that I feel I would see on a contemporary episode of SmackDown. The tag team match being something that's promoted throughout the entire go home show beforehand. Right. And, and you know what? It's their detriment, detriment too, because uh, you can have great tag team matches, as, we, as we've seen on this podcast time and time again. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting to go back and see what do they do? They don't do anymore that worked, right? Cause it's all, obviously there's all sorts of things they probably don't do anymore that don't work. I'm obviously the treatment of women would be one that we talk about. We harp on this podcast a lot. Um, so it's interesting those things, especially when that happens, right? Well, Matt, when the last episode that I was, I was on for the pod, yes. the episode of SmackDown we were watching, you can perhaps remember the date. Stephanie was 
uh, it was in the middle of the tag team tournament that was happening. And Stephanie right. was doing all of this stuff to try to demonstrate how important the SmackDown tag team titles would become and forcing all of these unlikely alliances, forcing people to enter the tournament <laughs> right? to give the tournament credibility. And several weeks later, and I'm, I'm actually really pleased to see the status of the tag team titles and these three teams of high credibility legends, future world champions or past world champions, all battling for the tag team gold. Yeah, it's good. I'm, I really appreciate that they foregrounded it and they made it essentially it was like, you know, especially on TV it was a main event title, like mm -hmm. by and large. Right. Uh, obviously, Brock is still holding down the main main thing there. But it's really the show is really Smackdown six. And what is Brock up to largely, mm -hmm. which is great. That's I mean, for me in 2002, for me in 2021, that's a winning formula. <laughs> that's what I care about. Right. That's enough. That's enough for for basically a year's programming for sure. Yeah. So we go backstage to see our, our little journalist friend, Mark Lloyd, uh, interviewing Rey Mysterio. Uh, and so we find out through that that Rey Mysterio is going to be facing Eddie tonight, Eddie Guerrero, Chavo's uh, uncle there. And uh, so Rey's getting interviewed, and then he shuts down the interview because he and he heads towards someone he sees. And we see that he sees Brock Lesnar coming in. He's holding his WWE title, and he's wearing a, a generic Survivor Series shirt. And uh, Rey genuinely asks, uh, hey, how are your ribs, Brock? Uh, and Brock just says, fine, and moves on. <laughs> he goes past Mark Lloyd, who he, who he more or less ignores. Uh, and this is like another sign that like, OK, I think people are supposed to like Brock Lesnar because Rey Mysterio, who is like who has never been a bad guy on television, is like genuinely ending interviews to be like, hey, is Brock Lesnar OK? Um, especially nice because Rey fought Brock Lesnar a couple weeks ago and <laughs> got destroyed. Uh, no, he in fairness, he did get thrown into the crowd by Big Show and not Brock Lesnar. But um, Brock and Rey are not a couple guys that get along. And famously in the last in recent years, they definitely didn't get along either. Um, reason may rematches, but there's a time where Ray was caring about Brock Lesnar. It's very sweet. So prior to this, were there any hints of the Brock face turn, or is this all just happening tonight? It was. It's been small things, and a lot of it's tonight. I mean, the bigger thing is just that, like the, the relationship breakdown with Paul Heyman, mm -hmm. where Paul Heyman is doing all the things, and Brock is doing that. No, I want to confront Big Show. I want to be the hero. I want to do the big things. He's kind of obviously Big Show being a big heel. Uh, has contributed to that, but you know, tonight is we're actually seeing like some of the more face stuff coming out, which is interesting. It's it's always interesting to see this stuff happening um, in real time, not real time because it's 2002, but relatively real time. And then we, we go to see Al Wilson, uh, who is Tori Wilson's father and Don Marie's um, well fiance at this point. And so Al Wilson is backstage; he's reading a wedding magazine, um, which I'm only realizing now is kind of a strange thing for a, a guy to read. Um, I don't want to be sexist men can read wedding magazines famously written for women mostly <laughs> right i uh, hope i'm not overstepping there usually it's bridal magazines things like that anyway so al wilson is perusing a wedding magazine it's been like i don't know 40 years probably since he was last married um and so don marie comes out to to talk about how excited she is to be al's wife and she really wants to give tori a wedding invitation but al's really hemming and hawing about it and then don convinces al and then he says you know what? i'm gonna go talk to her right now so al takes off there um, how, how are you? How are you? Yeah. So I'm, I'm a little bit torn with all of this. I mean, yeah. it's, it's all tawdry. It's all, I love um, you. Brought it's back all, tawdry. That's it's all pretty word. bad. Um, <laughs> uh, Al Wilson, I, I think that he is one of the most cardboard characters in the history of WWE. And, and yeah. maybe that's slightly by design and that he's, 
he's this very simple man of a few words who is easily manipulated and <laughs> uh and and yet i find him very devoid of personality and emotion so after i watched this episode of course i had to go back and watch the engagement from the week before <laughs> good good and I can't believe that they they took this man who at least seemingly doesn't come from an entertainment background and had him go out in, into the ring to deliver this extended long sequence engagement with Don Marie. And somehow the crowd didn't absolutely tear him to to shreds. I mean, maybe this this storyline was more popular than than we realize now. Who knows? <laughs> And also, Tori Wilson, nothing particularly impresses me throughout this this storyline. Um, however, Don Marie, like for someone who's thrust in this position, she is giving it her all. And it would be completely unwatchable if she wasn't as good at being this this dastardly manipulative woman. And, and right now it's only partially unwatchable. Right. Thanks to she, Don Marie. Don Marie does. She's really nailing a kind of a Disney, uh, a Disney evil stepmother kind of vibe. Or uh, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, it's a very. She's doing a very good job with that. I, I find Al Wilson's uh, cardboardness a bit magnetic in a way, but fully in a car crash store. Like I want to see this man say things uh, in the most boring way possible. Um, but yeah, I mean, they really hung him out to dry last week, especially the commentators. On, on the call last week, we're like, oh, get out, Wilson. I'm like, oh, ridiculous. Like, it's embarrassing. <laughs> like, I think Taz was like, ah, change the channel or something. And I was like, okay, probably shouldn't say that when you're trying to get people to watch your show. Yeah. Um, but it's so funny. So, and there's a moment a bit later on in the show that I think is like at least more interesting, which is good. Um, and then, and then Don Marie being very unsubtle too. If uh, we see Brock Lesnar, who in fact is at SmackDown because he's seated in the dressing room with Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman's giving him grief for being grief for being there. He says, "Why be here tonight?" And Brock Lesnar says, "Because I'm Brock Lesnar." And Paul reminds Brock what happened last week, what happened when Paul wasn't around. Um, and this is, you know, Brock is kind of he's being the uh, the populist, like, "Hey, I'm not going to listen to my boss," kind of thing. And uh, Paul Heyman says, "You know, I wasn't around to help you last week, and I can't even really help you uh, at Survivor Series in three days, not against Big Show." Still, Paul Heyman is doing like the lion's uh, share of the work and trying to make Big Show seem like a real contender. Uh, which, if you listen to Paul Heyman, yeah, I mean, otherwise, I, the issue, of course, is that I also watch the show. Uh, <laughs> right. But yes. uh, but Paul Heyman is, he is trying, and I appreciate it, that he's at least trying, even though I don't like it. And then so we go to a uh, super normal match, Matt Hardy and John Cena against Tajiri and Rikishi, just <laughs> four random people. <laughs> just, Can we go back for one second, Matt? Of course, yeah, please. So Paul Heyman, yes, he he's really selling all of this, and he's really, as you're saying, doing his best to promote Big Show as a genuine threat to Brock Lesnar when even back in 2002, that would strain credibility. But Paul says this line, I've got one idea to get out of this, and it's the only one I've got. And that got me genuinely intrigued about what incredible idea Paul Heyman must have later in the show. And I guess we'll get to that. Yes, very good. It's not um, really a great idea, but he's, we'll get to that. But he does execute it and is super proud of himself. <laughs> so at least at least in his mind, he probably succeeded in some ways. 
So yes, Matt Hardy and John Cena versus Tajiri and Rikishi. Uh, the Matt facts before the match are, uh, as Matt comes down the aisle, we see that Matt was a Fear Factor champion, which is a very 2002 reference. Uh, you know, might as well be talking about the war in Afghanistan or something to make more tales do than that. And also Matt loves guacamole. Um, Michael Cole makes fun of Matt for including that detail in his entrance. I feel like guacamole wasn't uh, as uh, universally loved or respected uh, in 2002. I think ever since uh, since then, I think it's had a real uh, strong appearance. Uh, people have really kind of well warmed to avocado, I think. Where are you on guacamole, Chris? I'm a big guacamole fan. Uh, I'm down with it. Also, these little stats yeah. that that they're showing with the entrances on SmackDown, it actually, I don't know if it's intentional, looks very similar to what they're doing in, in 2020 uh, with right. the entrances on SmackDown on, on Fox. I mean, sometimes it'll be like uh, so-and-so is, uh, you know, a former world champion. But other times, like the guacamole thing, it'll be um, – Mandy Rose, oh, she used to be best friends with Sonya Deville, you know, former best friends, you know, right. like like kind of dumb dumb stuff like that. I think I think it's good. I know in um, in AEW they'll often do uh, more comedic things with the Chirons underneath. Like um, uh, I know when they had um, um, oh gosh, what is his name? Is it on page? Oh, if I get it wrong, I'll be mad about it. Anyway, oh yeah, had, they, did, they did tons of great stuff with uh, Hangman Page. Yeah, with yeah, Hangman Page. Thank you. Yeah, and it was like yeah, like uh, anxious millennial cowboy was one of the things he had on, they wrote on there. Or uh, my favorite is uh, when he was really embracing uh, when the gimmick was like he was a tag team partner, but he was also drinking a lot. It was just it was Hangman Page has been drinking was his underline. <laughs> and he went he, in the, the in, in character he was, and he was causing problems because he was drinking too much that night, uh, which is very fun. Uh, we see John Cena. He's wearing uh, dark red and yellow. I'm not really supposed to be, I'm not sure if that's supposed to be uh, a rival sports team or not. John Cena, when he was a good guy, was wearing the team uh, of the local area. So I'm not sure. Is this Minnesota? Like a Golden Gophers thing? I'm not sure. Um, it's also funny because he's like, this is right when he's starting his rap gimmick. But there's no rap here at all. He's just being a bad guy. So you wouldn't get to see that. Um Rikishi and Tajiri is also an interesting combination because Rikishi is a genuine, like a good guy, and Tajiri is a heel. But I guess Tajiri is kind of not a heel anymore. I guess he did have a bit of a conflict with um, Nidia and Jamie Noble, so maybe that conflict made him a good guy again. If I think about it, although I guess it never really occurred to me prior to this match. <laughs> so uh, Matt Hardy and John Cena they take turns uh, tagging in to beat up Tajiri, and uh, Tajiri gets a snapmare, uh, kind of a, then like a flipping snapmare where he like runs over and flips over, which is great. And so he can make the tag now. And so Rikishi comes in. He sets up a double stink face, uh, or at least one on Cena. But then Matt Hardy comes in and hits a neck breaker to uh, break up that possibility. And then uh, Rikishi is beat down by Matt. But he gets a back body drop. It tags into Jiri, who dodges some, sh some shots from Cena when he gets in the ring. And then uh, Matt Hardy do, I don't know how else to describe this. Maybe you can help me with this, Chris. They do kind of a weird, like, double DDT thing where they kind of, like, collide and they both kind of go under each other's arms. Um, mm, I don't remember that. I mean, maybe I was just so relieved that the stink face didn't didn't execute. Right. Uh, yeah. So all that, I remember was that there was no stink face. To be honest, that was my yeah. big takeaway from this match. But please That's continue. Fair. So, so they do they do a very straight like it leads to a very strange ending in the match because they both end up with their shoulders down and I guess they're kind of half covering each other like their hands are on each other. And so the referee counts the pinfall, but Matt gets his arm off the mat at two and a half, and Tajiri's is still down at three, so that counts as a pinfall on them. Um, and now, I have to say, after the match was fun because Matt is very excited by this win, 
And then so when he goes up the ramp, he makes John Siri, John Cena carry him on his shoulders for a bit. Like he's such a just like, we won, like put me up there. And John Cena's like, oh, all right, cool. We did it. Like, I just like the idea of like forcing people to do things. Actually, not the last time that someone will do something they're forced to do on the show. Cause there's a moment later on with Chris, uh, Benoit and Kurt Angle where, um, there's a, it, oh, there is yeah. the great moment. It is lovely. Uh, so I suppose the idea is that Matt Hardy kind of needs, um, luck to be able to, to win is, is that, was that the takeaway from his pinfall? I guess just like he, he keeps, he keeps getting wins that are objectively not impressive. And he keeps asking, he's like, I did it. I beat the world. I'm a world beater. <laughs> like I conquered it all. Um, cause I guess Mattitude is if anything, from an objective standpoint, uh, mostly a man being unfailingly confident for reasons he shouldn't be, which is uh, an issue a lot of men have. Wow, I, should, I, should, I should try Mattitude. And <laughs> I'll it try it work. out, Matt, and if you ever invite me back on the show, we can I can let you know how it went. It's true. I'm I'm very excited to hear how Mattitude works for you. Better than other uh, other lifestyle ethos you could take from uh, modern society. We'll see. Mattitude, maybe it's a winning formula still. Sure. So we go backstage. We see uh, Kurt Angle, Chris Benoit are backstage, and they're arguing. They're, they're bickering. It's their thing, right? And uh, Kurt Angle says their loss last week was was all Benoit's fault. This is when they lost the tag team titles in the two out of three falls match to Ray and uh, Edge. But Benoit pushes back, you know. And uh, Angle's most mad. He's not champion anymore. Um, he says it's, it's your fault, Benoit. Angle says it's your fault. Uh, Kurt says, "Watch your uh, you watch your mouth, young man," uh, which is very funny. <laughs> Kurt Angle is on fire for a lot of this episode. Um, and then Kurt says, I have more teeth than you. And Benoit says, I have more hair than you. And Angle is immediately like, I love it because Angle says the teeth thing. And then when Benoit hits back with the hair thing, he's like, oh, I can't, I can't believe someone would say that to me. <laughs> like he's so, he's insulting someone. And then immediately he's like thin skin, which I thought was fantastic. And then, um, they say, I, just, I don't know which one says this. He goes, I'm better than you. And then I, someone says, I think Kurt says, I'm 10 times better than you. And then Benoit says, I'm 11 times, 11 better. times better than you. <laughs> it's so funny. And well, as I'm a gold medalist. Right. Uh, Chris Benoit, by the way, he's got his little tuft of hair in the front. It keeps flopping everywhere when he talks. So uh, that's also a fun thing to enjoy there. Uh, Benoit grabs Angle's medals. after uh, Probably right shortly after Angle mentioned the won a gold medal. And Angle doesn't like that. So... <laughs> He does, um, and I don't know how to describe this other than just being very literal about it. He does the old point to your chest, and then when you look up, I'll hit you with my fingers thing to Benoit, who's really bothered by it. Just a real juvenile junior high thing to do. I was actually, when I was writing notes while watching the episode, I was trying to think of, like, what, what, what is the name for that thing? But I think that you actually described that as succinctly as, as you could. Maybe there isn't a name for it. The Made whole thing look, I thought was great, and, you know, Benoit, I don't really think of him as... as is much of a uh, comedic character, and yet him playing off of Kurt Angle, I thought it was really awesome. And and yeah, the tag team partners who hate each other shtick is is really old, but I can't think of anybody who has done it better than Benoit and Angle. Right, Benoit is a perfect candidate for a straight man. Right, like the yes. whole thing of like, if anything, because I I get the I get the motivation behind wanting to have Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit fight all the time, but you could actually get st still so much mileage out of the fact that these guys are don't like each other and he's a straight man. It's just really funny. And it's also funny to see him go down to Angle's level with the 11 times better than you kind of thing. It's like, that's where it would devolve. Even if you, like, if you fought with somebody, even if they were a very, uh, very well put together person, they come down to your level, it's still embarrassing for them, which is great. So challenging him to a match, I mean, 
yeah, we've got tag team partners all the time who hate each other, but very rarely do you actually get to see them fight each other. Yeah. That's something brilliant about this pairing is that they can feud while still being tag team partners. It's not just simmering. It's boiling over frequently, but it Mm -hmm. keeps (laughs) still on the stove. (laughs) So it's still Mm -hmm. doing all those things. And from there, we we see a, a promo for Scott Steiner where he's kind of reciting some of his lines and all if you hear me, all that sort of thing. And I wonder when we'll see Scott Steiner next. Hmm. Just had to listen next week on the podcast. Mm-hmm. So that'll be very exciting for everybody. Um, unfortunately for everyone, uh, the, uh, Scott Steiner says something se- semi-famous on Survivor Series 2002, which is edited out of the program because he swears, um, which is fair. We'll, we'll talk about it next week. Oh, um, I can't wait. I don't know about any of this. Oh, yeah. If you, I'll remind you. I'll remind you after the show. Uh, I'll, I'll use the colorful language off mic. Um, so then we see Paul Heyman walking backstage, and he he he, chat, he chats up a staff person before knocking on Big Show's locker room door. And so this is this is Paul Heyman's big gambit, essentially. You heard of the Queen's Gambit? Get ready for Heyman's Gambit. <laughs> so he walks in and he tries to reason with Big Show not to call Brock Lesnar out, and he kind of he alludes to the fact that Brock is kind of naive. He doesn't use those exact words, but he's trying to kind of he's he's trading in that uh, that territory. And he says, Big Show, you know, you beat Hulk Hogan in his prime. Don't you want to face Brock when he's 100%? And I got to say, that's great because he's referring to WCW, which I always get a kick out of that. The fact that what happened to WCW is now canon on WWE television is, I always affirm that. I appreciate that. Mm. Um, so all of this is essentially just Paul Heyman. All of this is just Paul Heyman saying, please don't call Brock out. And um, that was the big idea. Yeah. He got Paul's one idea of how he could get him out of the situation. <laughs> I'm just going to ask him if he politely, uh, you know, butter up his ego, ask him if he won't do it. It's kind of like a, it's like if you watch a TV show and someone's just like, I have one great plan. And they just immediately cut to, can you please? just asking someone for it? It's yeah. Like, yeah, I have like, a heist idea. Yeah. That's we'll go to Vegas and I'll just ask them for the money in the vault instead. So uh, Big Show admits he has respect for Paul Heyman. And apparently he's, he's, full, he's being won over here. His respect for Heyman, he lays, he says, you know, out of professional courtesy, I'm going to consider not calling out Brock. It's it's funny the idea of professional courtesy in uh, in, in wrestling period, but especially when it's like you trying to murder him last week. I don't. It's professional courtesy is kind of off the table at this point, considering what your where your uh, you know range of actions you have against this guy have been. But you're like, I'll I'll be a professional in this situation. Attempted murder I mean, last. Can week. you imagine what the like imaginary? like storyline HR department of WWE must be. <laughs> I can't believe they haven't gone there and brought in like the head of HR because their job would be pretty crazy. Yeah. They'd be, well, you know what? I'm glad you mentioned that because there's something that's going to happen a little bit later on in the show, which I think someone should be fired for. Uh, so I'm glad you brought, I'm glad we've already, uh, we've, we've come close. We've come close to the HR thing. Let <laughs> me, I mean, I, that would be so funny. Even just do, just do a segment once and be like, oh, like they're for the HR department. And it's just like <laughs> people who are absolutely swamped and they're like, they're going through paperwork and they're like, I'm still trying to figure something out for Kamala. I know he's been gone <laughs> for years, but this, this is the backlog we're at for this sort of thing. So we see Eddie and Chavo chatting backstage uh, and they chat. They run into Edge and Rey Mysterio, who uh, they're both facing individually tonight. We already saw Edge uh, conquer Chavo in, in ring action. So Eddie calls Edge quote a blind squirrel because he found a nut and i guess that means he got lucky i don't know if it's an expression that i'm not aware of here or not and eddie says they're gonna win on sunday uh ray argues with him in spanish which i always appreciate whenever they argue in a language that isn't english and they don't bother to subtitle it or explain it 
Uh, I've enjoyed that. They've done it recently with Japanese wrestlers. I get a kick out of it. I'm like, please talk for two minutes in Japanese. I don't care if I don't understand you. I think it's funny. You guys are uh, arguing, and I have no idea what you're saying. Well, it makes sense because, I mean, if you've yeah. got uh, two Latino guys who are really heated um, in an emotional argument, yeah, they're, they're going to revert to their natural language. Yeah. I, and, I agree with you there. And and, and yeah. obviously for the viewer, that's not like we're losing anything because it's the emotion that's that's important. Right. And you even and you even have someone in it like Edge who's there, um, who is not necessarily speaking Spanish. Although <laughs> I'll correct that shortly because um so Eddie says he's not scared of them, he says it in a really exaggerated way. And then Edge hits Eddie with some Spanish. Um, and then which is great because Eddie acts like Edge used a finisher on him <laughs> because he gets very cowed and he has to go to leave. He's like very put off by the fact that Edge has spoken to him in his own language. I don't know what he said exactly. Um, it wasn't nice, but uh, he got in there. I assume that that's what uh, he and Rey Mysterio talk about sometimes. Eddie's and then so we go theatrical yeah. miming of of you know he would pretend that he was scared of Edge and Ray and then hide behind Chavo in a way to make <laughs> fun of fun of his opponents and pretending he couldn't hear. Edge, so he's sticking his finger in his ear and in a really theatrical way. And Eddie really nailed, like, he understood physical comedy and was good at it in a way that I feel a lot of wrestlers wouldn't really appreciate. I mean, they might think about how to say something, but Eddie was very good about how to show something. And that is so important in a... And, an art form for lack of a better word where it's all physical, right? There's, mm -hmm. you know, if, if you're going to be kind of playing for the back of the house in matches, like you should do it when you're doing promos and things like that. I mean, there was the match that Eddie had, I believe it was last week where he in the match is clearly angry. And that is something that you see in his moves. He's not just regularly bothered by people. He's actually wrestling in a way that like, Oh, that man is frustrated. He is angry. Um, it was so impressive to me. Eddie Guerrero. I will not stop singing the praises of him. Um, it's a good thing. I have a podcast where I can do that about him and Kurt Angle and all sorts of other people. Yeah, charisma just absolutely off the chart. Off the charts, man. Such a, and such a loss, such such a tragic loss so that we don't have Eddie in our lives anymore. Which just imagine if Eddie could come back every like three years, do like a backstage segment. Oh, be so fun. Be so good. So we see Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio match. Uh, and when Eddie Guerrero comes out, we see an Eddie mode my lawn sign in the crowd. Still, they will cut to that every week. I don't know what the goal of it is. Eddie's character is not that he's a migrant worker. Yeah, that really struck me as uh, uh, racist, and yeah, because I, and I was trying to think of a way to interpret that in a way that, <laughs> in, in a way that wasn't what you're saying is is like, oh, he's he's some guy who who you know I paid him mow my lawn uh, because he's he's Latino, uh, and he's Hispanic. Um, is is that all they're really going for with that? I think so. Because the other thing that's the thing is, if you follow it to a logical conclusion, you're like, he's like that guy who mows my lawn. You know, Carlos, the guy who sucks, who I paid him on my lawn. You're like, why do you disrespect the guy who does work for you? Like, mm -hmm. even that where it's like, it's, it's a whole class thing, which is not dissimilar from the racism thing. Now, I will say, I appreciate there's also a kid in the crowd who has a sign that reads Eddie Guerrero, the Latino jackass, which I would argue is a perfectly acceptable wrestling sign. Um because that's kind of in keeping with things. Now, I got to say, I wouldn't encourage a kid to use Eddie's ethnicity in the sign, even though I get it because it's his nickname. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just jackass is fine. Yes. You need to, to point out. Because mm -hmm. imagine if it was a wrestler, like, look at that, look at that white jackass. <laughs> like, okay, that's not, you shouldn't go right to race. Or if you use black, it'd be much worse. So anyway, 
You could the say kid, the mustachioed jackass, if you really right. like need to kind of distinguish between the the many jackasses on WWF programming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, oh, and then we get our sponsors. I get such a kick out of the sponsors every week, guys. It, it's it's such a nostalgic kick. It's like it's the thing that makes me feel like I'm most sitting on my parents' couch at home when I see those things. Like I, I, I smell the living room again when I hear it. And so, sponsors for sponsors for tonight uh, include WWE SmackDown. Shut your mouth for the PS2, which is very fun that they have uh, one of the games and one of the one of the games that we mentioned here on the podcast as a rating possibility here. SmackDown. Shut your mouth, which we see a little bit later on as well. Uh, Taz says they have the best storylines ever. Period. End of story. Just imagine this tag tagline. Uh, then Half Past Dead, which I believe is a Steven Seagal movie, and Truth, which is an anti-tobacco company, but they don't ever really specify what that is. You just gotta look it up, but you can. Truth. Don't just don't smoke cigarettes, kids. So uh, Ray pops out of the sky as his song says, and he's got his belt around his shoulder like a sash, and like his arm. It's kind of like it's like around him. I don't know how else to describe that, but he's wearing it in a way that is like. You don't see people do that, but I think it's because he's got a kind of a smaller torso. Did I describe mm. it there properly, Chris? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think you did. Mm-hmm. Like a sash sort of thing. He he takes it off and then does the kind of traditional over one arm sort of thing afterwards. But he's proud of his tag team, but he won it last week. Fair enough. And uh, so we're told that the partners are banned. Like, so the partners are barred from ringside by Stephanie. I was like, sure. OK, why not? Um, now, I got to say, has Edge ever accompanied Ray to a ring for a singles match? I don't think so. Um, you know, they're, they're in a tag team and I was trying to figure out how to think about this. I'm like, they're in a tag team. It's kind of more or less professional. I wouldn't say they're particularly close. It's not a bad way. It's not a bad thing. They're kind of more like chubbing. Ch- it's like, I feel like they're good work friends. You wouldn't necessarily, you might call them if you're like, I'm having a birthday, you can come out, but you wouldn't be like, oh, let's just hang out at my house. It's like, it's yeah, they definitely together. don't have that vibe of like that. They're necessarily drinking buddies. Yeah. It's like, it's like, why would it, which edge come out for my singles match? I'm a singles <laughs> guy. It's like, I, I hope they grow in their friendship and their partner and their camaraderie here. Um, for some reason, I didn't catch why, but Taz sings Ted DiBiase's theme as Ray comes down to the ring. You know, the money, 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 money. Uh, and Michael Cole tells Taz to buy the WWE Anthology CD instead, which is a little good little plug for the uh, three-disc CD set that just came out. <laughs> Absolutely. Go for it. Um, I mean, my first note is just like, these guys work so well together, like with Ray, like, and he's hitting these tight snap mares, like Ray's uh, boots are hitting the ground so hard and loud. Um, and he gets back dropped as well. Um, and, and then uh, back body dropped, arm dragged. And then uh, Eddie hits his perfect tilt world backbreaker on Ray, which is so good. Like everything they do, just so clean. And then uh, Ray grabs Eddie's arms and he climbs up the ropes. And he kind of he kind of has a misstep there, but he still gets these twisting head scissors on Eddie, which is crazy. Because um, it still looks so good and like... He's just doing like a half flip more on all sorts of things than you would think. It's like, it's so good. And uh, Ray sets Eddie up for 619, but then Eddie pulls the ref, who, by the way, is way too close to Eddie at that point. It doesn't make sense that he's that close. And he pulls him to the 619 instead. So I don't know if Ray's kind of like, Eddie's kind of faking it or not, but he just like, he just grabs the ref and makes him get hit by the 619 instead. And and he took it really well. So the ref was Brian Hebner. I'm assuming that's got to be one of the Hebner family. The Earl's son, son. Of, of Earl? I believe it's son of Earl. Oh, yeah, okay. my name is yeah, Earl. My t- son he is took it well. He took it well. I was impressed. Yeah. It's good because Ray, because he's not leaning on the second rope, like he just takes it full front in like the, the stomach area essentially. And it's like, yeah, that's good. Wouldn't knock you out. And most of you be like, ah, that sucks. But he treats it like he got knocked out because he's a refer- wrestling referee. So have you noticed that with wrestling referees, it's you never feel sorry for the referee how bad it, how badly it happens. It's always just this most comedic thing. 
where um, we enjoy seeing the referee get a bump, inevitably get knocked unconscious because they're 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 very delicate very human delicate. beings, and uh, there's something just kind of vicious about how, yeah, we're just conditioned to to laugh about these poor referees uh, getting thrown into to all sorts of situations. It is comedic that they're and they they're very good about coming up with creative ways in which the referee gets knocked out too. So I think it's part of <laughs> the enjoyable thing of like seeing it. If I haven't told the story before on this podcast, I'll tell it now. Uh, I think I was watching one of the very rare occasions where I watched was watching wrestling with my wife. Um, I think it was, we were just really freshly dating, and uh, I, believe, I believe Daniel was there, uh, former po- podcast guest and, and friend of Chris and mine, uh, Daniel Pettipaw. and uh, we're talking about. Wrestling. We're talking about wrestling. We talked about referees, and we said sometimes they get knocked out, and like they'll be. And it's funny because they're down forever, and it's like doesn't make sense. Like a referee, a wrestler can get punched in the face, and all sorts of things can happen to a wrestler, and they're fine. They kick out, but the referee just stays down forever. It's like okay, that's funny. And then in the match we're watching, I wish I could remember what it was. Uh, the referee, like I think, he just got, like knocked off the apron or through the ropes or something like that in a manner that was like pretty pathetic. And then he was down forever, and my wife was like, "Okay, I am out on this. Huh. This referee is stupid. This is dumb." And I was like. <laughs> I was like, if only she could appreciate, like you're describing, the, the great humor and enjoyment of seeing these referees that are glass-jawed, uh, low, <laughs> low ability to uh, not stay knocked out. Um, it's great. I mean, if anyone has a complaint for the HR department, it's these poor referees. I mean, I don't think I've, I can't think of a single time in my life where I've actually been unconscious. Right. Uh, maybe close to fainting once. Have you ever been unconscious, Matt? Uh, I don't. Th- I don't think I have. No, I haven't yeah. been knocked out. Uh, if you're a ref- wrestling referee, this is this is like a frequent on-the-job occurrence, like probably like multiple times per year per referee. Uh, yeah, they should call HR. Yeah, and and also Brian Habner, he should come to get up and then call it a disqualification at Eddie Guerrero, who objectively threw him into the path of another wrestler. Well, I mean, it was pretty traumatic, and I mean, he probably like lost some immediate sense of memory, right? Just, or maybe he's like things are moving fast. Who who knows what he was doing? He's trying to get somewhere. You have a very gen- genuine, uh, a very credulous approach to it, which is possible. Uh, I like when the ref goes down. Ray just kind of goes over to him. It is kind of the classic wrestling of like, oh man, the referee's knocked out. <laughs> which which you know, in, even in what all that we're saying right now, like Ray should be like, okay, he's knocked out. Just gonna live with that. Maybe I'll do something. <laughs> like, but Ray's always like, "Oh man, what a world we're in where referees fall down." So you perfectly gestured it as well. There's the gesture. Uh, there's like five gestures. The, the hands on the head of disbelief. And, and yes, it was. It's the hands on the head, looking down with a worried expression. Uh, that is like the quintessential like referee is down and you're the face character gesture. Yeah. So naturally, Chavo Guerrero comes out. And uh, he hits the gory special on Ray, which is kind of like you get him up for Razor's Edge, and then you kind of flip him backwards. It's a classic uh, Guerrero clan move there. Uh, and so, okay, so Stephanie banned Chavo from ringside. So isn't she going to be mad about this? Like, okay, so the ref's not going to DQ Eddie, but if your boss tells you not to do something, and then you do it in spite of her uh, instruction on national television, you should be fired, right? Like, where, how could you get away with that? Imagine doing something that your boss told you explicitly not to do and doing it in the most public way possible. Well, we haven't seen Stephanie at all on the show. I know she's so weirdly absent. I'm I'm guessing he figured, you know, well, I can get away with this tonight. She's, she's not, not watching. She's not around. She's not watching her only job. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a, a director of a movie not even watching his dailies. Like, ah, I'm not going to watch it. 
pretty much the only thing in life you have to do is watch the show uh, as the bare minimum. So down runs, runs edge. Also, he also wants to get fired apparently. Uh, and so he knocks Chavo out of the ring and he brawls with them. And then while that's happening, Eddie Guerrero sets up and hits a beautiful cruiserweight powerbomb on Ray, just a classic. And I specify cruiserweight because that's I've often heard people talk about how great it is when two small guys do it. And he just, Eddie just crushes them with a powerbomb. It gets two, but it looks really good. Um, Edge comes in and spears Eddie, even though the ref just has enough wherewithal to count a pinfall. Um, so that was interesting. He spears Eddie, uh, but Chavo kind of keeps the brawl going and he, he falls out with Edge again. And uh, yeah, so Brian Hebner, he comes out of the ring. He's trying to break up the guys who aren't in the match. Uh, and we take a break as refs come in to get involved and try to f- get, the, get the, uh, the excitement down to a more manageable level. And so we come back from the commercial break and Ray hits an Arabian press moonsault on Eddie for two. And I kind of say, I love the color combination these guys are, are wearing today. You know, Ray's got these nice bright red tights and Eddie's got this nice green and gold look. Everything just feel, feels very good together. I'm realizing those are also Mexican colors. Maybe that makes more sense for their... So go go back to, to the moonsault that you just described. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what you just said. Uh, I, I didn't know the word for it. But are you talking about when... Um, when Eddie did the over-the-top crossbody and landed right no, okay. on top of... So not that one. We're not there yet. But um, it's where uh, Ray essentially just does... I think maybe standing on this top rope, and then he kind of sits his legs down on this rope and he fl- and uses the momentum of the ropes to flip him over into a moonsault uh, where ah, Eddie is laying down. I see. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. This, okay. this is a match that has enough kind of flips and moonsaults where you could, yeah, very understandably think mm-hmm. to talk about something else. Uh, I, Rabi, I think it's called an Arabian press moonsault because I believe um, Sabu used to do that. Um, and I'm shocked by how much Ray does it, but he does it a lot, actually, more than I realized at this time. Uh, so uh, Ray hits Eddie in the corner. He gets a Bronco Buster, which is kind of a cousin of a stink face. I'm just going to say that because it doesn't really hurt you and just kind of like mm-hmm. putting your, your lower body in their face. Then he climbs the top rope, and then Eddie simply flips him off the top rope and out of the ring. Just like a real, like, and I love the simplicity of it. He just kind of, he's like, no, go away. Don't want you here. Like, and, and Ra- Rage sells it like he's like, ah, and he falls to his death out there, which is beautiful. Um, Eddie goes outside, and he and he gets exactly what you said. This is really nice kind of, like, body press. It's like, it's it's kind of, um, I once heard somebody describe it as a house show uh, move, because it's like, it's it's like the, the safest thing you can do that also looks relatively cool. Right. But Eddie... Eddie kind of like he gets a lot of air with it. He gets his arms stretched all the way out. It looks really great. It's like maybe the best version of that I've ever seen. Honestly, this kind of slingshot body press to the outside. Well, and uh, you're doing this on someone who's not very big. I mean, right? I mean, a large enough guy on the outside of the ring, um, like maybe Big Show, if I felt he was a little sure. more competent, maybe right. I'd do that. Maybe I'd jump over the top rope. But I'm certainly not going to be jumping over the top rope on, you know, someone of, of Ray's stature. There's only so much of you he can catch. It's true. So uh, back in uh, back in the ring, and uh, Eddie hits a back suplex on Ray, and he goes to the top rope. And then Ray runs up and hits a superplex, which is something I don't think I've ever seen Ray do before. Um, not exactly built to be a superplex kind of guy. And so uh, he goes for Eddie goes for another powerbomb. It's countered into an arm drag. And then uh, Eddie drops Ray with just a great clothesline. And that prompts Michael Cole to say, uh, quite naturally here, which is good. He's, he talks about, essentially, he's like, Eddie Guerrero is so good. And he affirms Eddie for having his ability to control the match. He's just like, man, like, every time Ray tries to get something, like, Eddie's just in it. And he's not saying it with disdain for Eddie. He's not saying it out of disrespect for Eddie. And, you know, there's a reason that these guys are at a professional wrestling company, right? They're good. And I just, I appreciate that 
they could affirm they can affirm when the good guy when the bad guy does something good. Uh, mm-hmm. and even earlier, Michael Cole makes a point to say that you know these guys would be extra motivated to hurt each other because soften each other up for Sunday's big trouble threat tag team match. And so it's an, a more good commentating where aware not just of the context of the match, but the context of the storyline where it's like, okay, mm-hmm. I can make this carry some weight for it to be kind of a prologue for what you're going to see on Sunday and make you want to see what happens on Sunday. Because like especially after this match, I think this match is great. Um, and so it, there's all the more reason that I'm like, yeah, I do want to see the rest of them, this movie that you're telling me about, essentially. Um, so Eddie perches Ray on the, the turnbuckle kind of facing out, but Ray knocks him off, and then he hits a very nice moonsault on Eddie Guerrero for two, just a nice flipping moonsault. Um, and then Ray springboards off the second rope, and he flips backwards, and he got spins against an arm drag on Eddie. And then Eddie gets knocked out of the ring. Ray hits him with a baseball slide to knock him down. And then Ray Mysterio... Runs off the ropes. He does a running helo to the floor, which is essentially just a rope-assisted swanton bomb directly on the floor. That was my audible gasp when I was watching the show. Yeah. When involuntarily, I was just totally amazed that he would be able to take that distance. I mean, think about it. I don't know what the, the actual height is, but jumping over the, the top rope and landing... Um, not on someone who's catching you while they're standing up, but landing on someone who's already on the floor. Mm-hmm. And it's just remarkable that Ray could take these bumps routinely um, week after week and have such a long career. Yeah. And he's landing mostly on the floor, really. Like he's hitting yeah. Eddie. But it's like at least 60% of that energy is going right onto the floor, if not much more than that. Uh, it was just wild. I'm watching, like, that's crazy. Like, like you wouldn't you wouldn't see Jeff Hardy do a swanton bomb swanton bomb from the top rope to the floor, which is essentially what Rey Mysterio just did on a SmackDown. Mm-hmm. Uh, it reminds me of like a video game when you ever when I would do that all the time, where it's like you hit a guy and then you go to the top rope on the outside and you do something on the outside on the floor. Where it's like you would never do that. It's so much harder. It's so much more dangerous. And the guy moves and you're like, if you did a swanton bomb <laughs> from the top rope to the floor and the guy moved, you would be dead. <laughs> it would hurt so much. And Rey Mysterio essentially did that. Only he kind of hit Eddie too. So, yeah, yeah, there was very little of Eddie that was actually like protecting him in in that instance. Yeah, it's just just wild, just wild. So back in, Ray does a springboard splash where essentially he just like jumps the top rope and then kind of like falls down, uh, but he lands on Eddie's knees, and then Eddie grabs a nice little uh, small package pin combination for two. And then he hits a suplex on Ray, a nice good snap in one, and he goes up top, and he goes for the frog splash, but he sees that uh, that Ray is getting out of it, so he kind of he does a roll through instead. Uh, and then uh, Ray pops up and he, he drops Eddie on the turnbuckle and then he kicks him and then he hits the 619. And then uh, instead of a West Coast pop, so instead of going trying to hit him with the, the uh, Hurricane Rana, uh, the Springboard Hurricane Rana, Ray goes for a diving sunset flip. But Eddie counters it and he kind of he almost is going to do a sharpshooter. But essentially he does just does the lasso from El Paso, uh, his, his leg lock move there. And he's right by the ropes. And so he actually grabs the ropes for leverage as he kind of leans back and leans deeper into it. And Ray taps out to give Eddie Guerrero the win uh, with a bit of cheating there. And it was a nice little match. Like, really one of my, like, a, a very pleasant surprise, which I didn't remember this one. But it's like, man, I think I could watch these guys wrestle uh, infinitely. It was a great match. I mean, did the leverage really help with his finishing move? Um, <laughs> I wasn't entirely convinced by the ending. Uh, but overall, yeah, absolutely fantastic. And, and when I was watching this match, it made me think, um, you know, as you described the, the theme of the podcast and how the, the SmackDown 6 carried the show, uh, this was a really great example of that. 
It's, it's a show making it's enough of a match where I was like, okay, even from here, I would suggest somebody watch this because this is great. People should see this. Um, and you know, what? <laughs> with, with the finish, I almost blame the ref for missing that. It's like, he's right by the ropes. Like, it's like what, if you've ever watched, like if you're watching football and like uh, a guy steps out of bounds, but they give him a touchdown anyway. And you're kind of like, well, it's not his fault. He's just trying to do his best. I mean, in this case, Eddie is trying to uh, intentionally uh, cheat, but well, Brian five minutes ago, he was unconscious. Remember right. that. He's not. I, it's neither right. of us have been unconscious in our lives. Uh, this has happened to him for maybe like his 20th time. He was completely out. So maybe we have to give Brian Hebner a break. Yeah, he may have. He may currently have a brain injury from all those <laughs> KFA brain injuries. <laughs> yeah, 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 probably. So uh, Michael Cole, after the match, he makes a point of saying that Eddie won his match uh, at Super Tuesday two days ago as well. And then he won tonight. So next up is Survivor Series, and the Eddie is kind of on a roll. Uh, he did a good job connecting those dots. And Chris, I don't know if you are familiar with Super Tuesday, but they did it. They ran a hour-long network special the week before Survivor Series to give people that had Raw and SmackDown matches on it, so that people would have like more impetus to buy the show, which is what he's talking about there. Okay, Super Tuesday was not something you're aware of. That's a that's a lot of programming leading up to a pay per view. It's a lot. They used to do it back in the day, like in the 90s even. They would do it before pay-per-views, but they would have you know far fewer shows, right? Or they would have like you know an hour long of su- su- um, superstars, and then you know they'd have a couple like smaller shows, um, but not in this era where they have two hours on SmackDown, two hours of Raw, and they're like, oh, we're gonna add another hour on. Um, I don't know if it was on Spike or what it was, but um, but they went for it. They were like, you know what, we really want to push it for Survivor Series. Like, All right, so they used at least they used it here to get Eddie over, which I loved. And then we go from a great match that night to see we see Tori Wilson walking backstage and she's wearing a denim bucket hat because it's 2002 and she's sucking on a lollipop because I guess she's like a child. I don't know. Like, I get the <laughs> lollipop is sexy thing uh, is the thing that exists, but I think we should at least interrogate the idea and be like, so what do we like about it? You know, is it is it, you know, tawdry as as Chris is so frequently so so excellently put it or is it just kind of a, just weird that it's like she's like a kid with a lollipop. But, well, you uh, know. Like this whole, and we talked about this before, this notion of how strange it is to see someone whose shtick is, uh, his character for Tori seems to be, I'm just a sexy woman, mm-hmm. and and I'm going to um, try to flaunt that as much as I can and do ridiculous things like, like when I'm just supposed to be walking naturally behind the scenes, I'm sucking on a lollipop. Right. And, and this is... This is what a face does back in 2002, apparently. Right, it is. You know, this is this this should be a, a, a heel character right here, but it's <laughs> but it's it's actually the most popular face wrestler I, I'm guessing on WWE at the moment. Just about right. I mean, it, it is true. Shame like, on you, WWE universe. She should be she should be oblivious that like you look ridiculous or like you're you're putting it on in such a way and like. They've also, like, in the past, like, when she's done, like, a bikini contest and things like that, they give her these big translucent heels, and, like, they really give her, like, really porny kind of, like, qualities to her, and it's, like, it really just ends up making her, as I said in a podcast episode before, it's, like, just seem trashier, too, mm-hmm. where it's, like, it's not as attractive. Uh, now, I'll admit, I am coming from 19 years later, or 18 years later, I guess, technically, um, and so I'm I'm not living in the zeitgeist of, you know, the, the, the comet tale that was the Attitude Era, so I can't say that I'm on it, and, like, you know, did I think Tori was attractive then? Yes. She's objectively attractive now. She's a beautiful woman. Uh, but I don't love the accoutrement uh, that we give her to make her more attractive. Well, you know uh, what? This was also back in the era of of them trying to, to court all of this mainstream uh, publicity by, by getting 
these women on the cover of Maxim. Yeah. Uh, and that whole, there was like about five different men's magazines that were all of that, that same vein at the time. FHM I don't know if, and Maxim. I don't, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know if Tori went so far as to do Playboy. Did she do Playboy? Do you know? I, well, she I don't already, remember. She does. She comes up later in the podcast, 2003, later in 2003. She has a whole, all sorts of feuds because of it, right? The, the drama of she gets in Playboy and people are jealous of her and everything like that. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I had missed all of this. So, I mean, maybe the intention isn't so much a, let's create a character that um, fans can actually get behind, but it's what can we do to position this woman so that she can get on a whole bunch of magazine covers for right. like, you know, horny non-wrestling men. That's a good, that's a good point, right? That's how much they just trying to leverage her into becoming kind of a Sable 2.0 kind of thing, right? Is what they Oh, yeah. I think, I think you could say that you couldn't express that any better. Sable 2.0 seems to be exactly what they're going for, but amping up the the raunchiness by, you know, by a few points. Yeah, I, I never connected those dots in the same way, at least. Um, so, yes, Tori, completing her denim bucket hat, is walking backstage. It's really need to head to the again. She's wearing a bucket hat. It's made of denim. Bucket hats on their own are uh, shameful in some ways. Did we all own them in 2002? Yeah, we all had bucket hats in 2002. Right? It was the Olympics hat, if I'm not mistaken, at the time. I, I don't time. think I did. Uh, if I did, mine wasn't denim. But right. uh, um, sure, you know, it, 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 it felt... See, I didn't actually think anything of this, this hat that you mentioned a few times <laughs> now. Because it just felt so perfectly of the era. It is. It really is. <laughs> so... So yes, Tori Wilson, as we as we've outlined here. So she's walking uh, backstage, and we find Al Wilson is waiting for her. And he starts by saying that she's his special angel, and Tori just blows past him, but he follows her. And Tori says Al is being used, and that Don Marie is a conniving, manipulative bleep. She says the B word here, and it gets a big smackdown pop, and they really give her a moment to like, ah, she really said it, sort of thing. It's and, funny uh, to me that like. Okay, so the most offensive thing about this is her saying the word bitch. I mean, there's there's yeah. a lot more <laughs> offensive about this whole situation <laughs> than that one word that now they, they air all the time on TV. Yeah, oh, constantly. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I'm just, people call people son of a bitches in the show constantly. Like, like probably in the show. It's, anyway, but they do they do really put a big frame around her saying it. Um, Tori says he's he's being by Don Marie. And she's reluctant to say, but she says, Dad, there's no fool like an old fool. Chris, is that an expression you're familiar with? <laughs> no, I had never heard that before in my life. She, they lay it out like she's like, she's going to drop the bomb with like this nugget of wisdom that we all know. We were loath to say to someone who respects us a little than us today, there's no fool like an old fool. And I was like, what? Like, is this the thing we know? And I get I mean, the... maybe we'll maybe we'll see in inspirational quote books in the future that this <laughs> was actually coined by Tori Wilson. It sounds like something that like that Vince McMahon thinks is like a common thing, and then people are like, What do you what is that? Like, okay, let me try to figure this out. So is she is the idea being like there's no one who's like a, a bigger fool than like an old man who is a fool. Like it's even more pathetic because you're old and you should be wise. Is that a fair reading of that phrase? Ooh, I think that you are taking. I think you're making more sense of that than the authors necessarily intended. Interesting. I mean, I'm not sure there was really any any thought to it. She just she, it. she just says it like it's like 
And as our forefathers have always said, it's like, <laughs> like our country is built on this principle. <laughs> like we hold these truths to be self-evident. There is no I, yeah, I, I think I think the idea was that, and this is maybe sort of adding like another layer of offensiveness, was that old people are foolish. And maybe that's all this is, is um, Al Wilson is, um, is a fool because he's an old man. I mean, d- WWE doesn't, you know, treat um, old people with a whole lot of reverence. It's true. They are often the butt of jokes, or or they're well, except for like legends, right? Where Ric Flair is, you know, trotted out and respected, and he's only made fun yeah. of in as much as he's yeah. Ric Flair. But no, it's true. If you're not like a, if you're not somebody who has a pedigree in wrestling, pardon the uh, word, use the word pedigree, uh, then you don't get treated with respect that way. You are you are an object of scorn or or laughter, which is too and, bad. And I mean, maybe maybe that makes me respect uh, Al Wilson's character more. And that basically he is just being portrayed as a fool and and not very um, articulate as a as a result of it, and is just being I guess you know pulled around by by these women in this in this particular feud. So maybe from that perspective, I, I can appreciate what's going on here a little bit more. But it's I mean it's hard to after like I went back and watched the engagement the week before where Al's in the middle of the ring in a stadium full of people begging to Don Marie, if you don't marry me, I will kill myself. That was such a shocking moment for me. It's (laughs) yeah, as I said, just just so totally shameless, shamelessly bad. Um, Anyhow. Back to this week. So, okay, here, here's the thing. So, so Tori absolutely slams Al Wilson with a phrase we all know. There's no fool like an old fool. And <laughs> Al looks just, tattooed on my arm. I know. Do it. I should. You could actually pretty good. I want to. Well, maybe we should pay a tattoo artist to at least mock one up for us. I could do it um, like in Latin. So at least yeah, like, like, <laughs> like Eldus. Um, so Al looks dismayed as Tori leaves. And so, okay, this is funny to me because it's taken month, like a long time for Tori to actually say what she should have said for months, just like outward. Let me just put it as clearly as I can. Dawn doesn't actually like you. But at some points, like, isn't Dawn the one who's kind of playing herself? I love the DJ Khaled meme. Like, what does Dawn gain from this? Because, like, as much as we're like, ah, Al Wilson, you're fool. It's like an attractive younger woman is constantly throwing himself at him physically. And I don't want to make a, a judgment call on you. Know, obviously, there should be more relationship than that. But, like, for Al Wilson, on some level – what is he missing from this? Like people are like, ah, oh, you're getting played by it. It's like, it's not like he's rich, rich. is going to take his money from him. Like, anyway, we see a little bit later on. She's a bit more, uh, Dom Marie's a bit more uh, outwardly evil about it, but like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know. Al on Al's terms, he's kind of getting the deal he wants out of this. Well, yeah, yeah. That is a good question. I mean, can you really blame Al Wilson? And, he's not going to and... be strung along, right? Cause it's not like she's misleading him and misrepresenting stuff. He's getting exactly what she says he's getting. Well, it's it's sort of similar to what we're seeing in 2021 with Lacey Evans and Ric Flair and Charlotte Flair, right? And and that Charlotte Flair is is telling Rick, you know, you don't want to be involved with this uh, conniving woman, Lacey Evans. But really, Ric Flair kind of knows what he's in for. And so, so you're right. I think that there can be a, a good defense made that. That maybe Al Wilson understands the situation and and what's he got to lose? 
Right. I, it's funny. The idea of telling Ric Flair not going to involve uh, like an attractive woman is also funny to me. It's like, you know, Ric Flair, for like, like your father bragged for years about how many women he slept with, right? He would make he, allusions to it. He would say, ride Space Mountain. But like his whole character is that he is uh, unchaste. Can you uh, imagine his poor kids having to like, like, <laughs> like you're watching, you know, your parent do their job. And part of their job involves talking about, um, you know, how much sex they have with random people that they meet on the road, you know, yeah. when, when they're like, out. I'm going to go to Christmas, North Carolina. I want to find all the women there. And then we're going to go for a ride on Space Mountain. Woo. And you're like, oh, daddy, we love you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> love it. He's like he is. He is essentially saying that he is procreating with just every uh, every woman on the age of twenty five and uh, it, below the Mason Dixon line, um, all across Dixieland. Ric Flair is going around uh, just populating towns with little platinum blonde people. And you so know, next Al up, Wilson just wanted a little part of that. I mean, yeah. I don't know where uh, his ex wife. What happened to her? Did she die too? Uh, divorce, I think they say. They, they, he's not a widow. I, I make the, they make the point of that, I think. Did they bring Tori's mom into this? No, they didn't, thankfully. Also, yeah, the thing to remember, too, is that I think Tori was, like, encouraged this to happen. Like, Al Wilson being on the show is, like, something. it's not like they, like, forced it on Tori. She's, like, she liked that he was there, which is also funny to think about. In this context, like, given <laughs> given the the storyline, then, yeah, that's that's a very strange, like father-daughter activity to engage in yeah i would say so too <laughs> don't want to be judgmental but i think that's a strange relationship if that in that regard in some ways so next up we have jamie noble versus uh billy kidman and uh, i appreciate when jamie noble's coming down to the ring the announcer says accompanied by his girlfriend nydia he doesn't just say accompanied by nydia he's like no no he's his girlfriend they're in a relationship together they're exclusive and they're, they love each other he's his girlfriend um billy kidman just he just kind of looks like a dork to me for wearing the survivor series shirt you know, you just you kind of look like a loser if you're wearing the pay-per-view or even your branded shirt. And I realized that Brock Lesnar wore it earlier. Uh, but Brock Lesnar is Brock Lesnar. It makes everything look like he meant to do it. And Billy Kim is just like, yeah, I found this backstage. It's a men's <laughs> medium. And you're like, good for you, Billy. Hey, a free T-shirt. Are you going to turn that down? I mean, he's definitely he has that, that that vibe. I think I used to be in that. And now I'm not, you know, I, I just don't need any more pajama shirts. You know what I mean? I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to good that one. <laughs> So I'm not sure why this match is happening because we're told this exact match is happening at Survivor Series on Sunday. I mean, this is obviously non-title, but it's like, hmm, interesting way to build for the match on Sunday. He's like, here's that very match right now. So Michael Cole pulls out some knowledge. He tells us that Jamie Noble actually won the Cruiserweight title in this very building back at King of the Ring in June. And uh, Taz, Taz hears that news and he calls Michael Cole Joe Almanac for his troubles. So don't try to tell Taz information or else he's going to make fun of you for being a nerd. Um, Taz points out in the previous segment, he says, Al didn't knock on the door when he followed Tori into the women's locker room. And then Taz just says, he's got to sit on him, eh? <laughs> Which was such a funny way. <laughs> what a weird line. Oh, yeah. He's he's very impressed by Al Wilson's moxie. So I think this is a, we'll go back into that in a second here because the commentators are still kind of uh, luxuriating in that uh, that exchange. So at one point, at one point, Jamie Noble hits the, a tiger bomb, which is his finisher. And uh, as he goes to cover Kidman, Kidman flips him over for a pin cover for two, which is like, I don't know, kind of damages Noble's finisher if he acts like it has no effect. Mm-hmm. Like, rude. Uh, and then Taz says, Al Wilson is old, that he'll have to get up at the crack of dawn to keep up with Don Marie. And he kind of acts like he didn't mean to make this half double entendre that he did, the, the crack of dawn. Um, and then he kind of laughs. Oh. At, like It seems like Michael Cole also kind of seems to genuinely laugh at it. I don't know <laughs> if it's just decent 
performing on their part or what, but uh, yes, they still are enjoying talking about that during this cruiserweight title or not this non-title cruiserweight match. So um, Jimmy Noble uh, gets kicked by Kidman when he's on the turnbuckle, uh, and then there's a, a sunset flip powerbomb attempt by Noble onto Kidman, but Kidman gets out of it, and then Kidman hits his kind of a low down. I don't know what he called it, but kind of like that pop, the pop up powerbomb where you don't actually get him around the on your shoulders like a Kevin Owens style, but kind of like just pop him up and drop him. Um, and then he goes to the corner to try for a shooting star press. Uh, and the Nidia distracts the referee, allowing Noble to stop Kidman. But he didn't like low blow him or do anything illegal, so I'm not really sure why Nidia distracted the referee in that situation. Don't really know. But Noble hits a superplex on Kidman, but then Kidman kind of grabs Noble's leg in a small package afterwards for the one, two, and three, kind of surprising him there. Um, and I guess my takeaway from this is that I think it would make more sense for Kidman to get a title match after this match, not before this match. Like, if it was because, like, oh, I beat him a couple times, now I shoot the title match. But I don't know, whatever. This is fine, I guess. Did you have any opinion on this match, Chris? Honestly, not really. I yeah. mean, it was hard to, hard to be invested in the storyline, to, to be completely honest. Yeah, no, it's fair. It's 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 not the best uh, cruiserweight stuff, which is really too bad because Jimmy Noble is, is so much fun with it. Um, you know, maybe if they did the connected uh, Billy Kidman with the Tory Wilson thing because he was dating in real life, I think they maybe could have tied some things in there. Because I, I would love to hear Jamie Noble talk about Al Wilson. Gosh, the commentators talk about him. Imagine Jamie Noble getting in there. I think he's great. He's doing, <laughs> he's doing whatever he wants. It's like, I think, gosh, how'd they miss that one? That would have been the, the, that was the layer that was missing. Right. Yeah. It would be the PS3 assistance. Yeah. The chef's kiss there for everybody, if you couldn't hear that properly. Uh, but don't worry, we're going back to that storyline because we follow Al, we follow Dawn Marie. Now, of course, we have to pan up from her legs because she's a bombshell. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to see that. So she finds Al. And even before she sees his face, she says to Al Wilson, what's wrong? And Al says, Tori won't come to the wedding. <laughs> Don Marie says, I can't believe she can't put her jealousy toward me aside. I just laughed at that, man. Like, I just I just left Don Marie just being, tra- like, transparently being like, oh, it's because she's jealous of me. <laughs> it's like, okay. And then Al, Al says meekly, she calls me an old fool. And and Don says, age is just a number and I love you, trying to comfort him. And then she finishes by creepily saying, everything's going to be just fine, I promise, while stroking Al's head and smiling an evil smile, which is the first time kind of in weeks that we've seen Don Marie be like, I have a plan, I am up to no good, and I just want the pe- everybody who can see this to see this. So I was very disturbed by this, knowing how this all plays out for poor yeah. Al. Um, are we meant to believe that you know, the, I mean, I'm not going to create any spoilers, but that how it ended up was her plan all along. I was thinking about this when I saw that, Chris. I'm glad you brought that up because I'm like, hmm, she seems to be suggesting a very uh, evil motive. And what happens to, to Al is so um, final. Uh, and so I hope not because I, I don't want them to be setting up a Black Widow character because then the natural evolution is Tori Wilson being like, what you did to my father is unforgivable, which it would be. In a lot of ways, so um, I don't. Uh, yeah, think I'd so. say I'd say unforgivable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll see if they thread that needle before there, Chris. Maybe they're gonna they're gonna the nuance is gonna is gonna just shoot right up, and we're gonna have uh, just a real uh, real mature adult storyline from here on out, and see what happens with it. So we see Brock Lesnar's pacing backstage, and uh, I'm, I realize here he's got an especially tight haircut. It's like almost close to like a shaved mohawk. Like his his sides are really really uh, tightened in there. And so uh, Paul Heyman comes in to brag about his gambit, uh, and he told Big Show not to call Brock out. And he even says Big Show might have been intimidated about Heyman's intelligence. 
And so he says, okay, so Brock, so let's pack up. And, uh, you know, we don't have to be here anymore. It worked. And Brock says, no, if Big Show won't call me out, I'll call him out. And Heyman, Heyman is beside himself. This is another piece of the broken relationship has come to light here. And it's just Paul Heyman can't handle it. And then uh, we see the commentators at the announce table. And Taz says, well, maybe Heyman should do like this video game and shut your mouth. And he's holding the, the game in question, the of PS2, course. shut your mouth. Um, and we see footage from the game. We see uh, Brock Lesnar running someone over with a clothesline. It might be Test or Shawn Michaels. I can't tell. Uh, we see a video game. The Brock graphics of that era, you, you couldn't really tell. It couldn't. No, they're from behind, but still. I, and I, don't, I, I have such an affinity for that time, too. I'm like, yeah, sure. It looks like Grand Theft Auto Fight City. It looks fantastic. Were those games good? Uh, the the uh, SmackDown games from that era? Yeah. They were playable. Um, some people were really fond of uh, Here Comes the Pain, uh, which I remember renting and really enjoying. There's some that has some good depth. I really like, you know, famously, it's, you know, this is not a controversial opinion in wrestling circles. The No Mercy games, the, the one there were like the NWO, uh, WCW, NWO Revenge, and No Mercy and WrestleMania 2000 were all made by Aki. Um, those are fantastic. Those are really great games, which I really, really loved. Virtual Pro Wrestling, the Japanese game. I've, I've played that as well, which I really liked. Um, so those are great. And so everything else is a pale imitation to me. So, mm. um, But I don't mind watching that. We, we also see uh, Kurt Angle, a video game Brock Lesnar throws video game Kurt Angle into a car, which explodes, and then bounces onto another car, which also explodes. Uh, we see uh, Kurt Angle with hair talking to Vince McMahon, Jeff Hardy on a ladder on SmackDown. I believe I saw video game Brock Lesnar throttling Goldust on an announce table. <laughs> kind of random uh, selection of uh, stuff there. And all that leads to Kurt Angle versus Chris Benoit. Um, and uh, there's a little bit of uh, fun before all that happens. Um, so these guys uh, are tag team partners on Sunday, but they're going to fight tonight instead. Um, and this is after months of Stephanie not wanting them to fight. And after they win the tag title, she's like, ah, whatever, I guess. She's just constantly like, whatever, you guys can fight each other now. It was like the whole big, big thing there. And this is also where I realized there's no Stephanie tonight, which I thought was funny. Mm-hmm. So Kirk grabs the mic before the match can start, and he runs down how he's better than all the athletes. Uh, all the opponents, rather, that he's facing on Sunday. And he says he's a better athlete than Benoit. He's better looking than Edge. He says, unlike the Guerreros, I can actually speak English, for goodness sakes. And then he Oof. also adds, I know. Yeah, and that was a pretty cringy insult. I mean, kind of, again, no, going, going back to how they they you know treated uh, Latino characters at the time. I mean, to me, the obvious insult would be Eddie Guerrero's steroid-induced back acne. <laughs> <laughs> like why is that why is that not a target for insults you know what you know what honestly would have fit with 2002 they also be like eddie and chavo you guys are weirdly close that's all they have to say and they have to be like no i say no we're just but we're just <laughs> that's all you have to do would be funny i will say even though the i can actually speak english is like is rough he does get rebutted in person immediately by that by the actual offended parties so i don't mind it as much because the guy he says something all offensive right. and they're like they're like screw you man um Fair. And then he says, Ray Mysterio, I've, uh, unlike Ray Mysterio, I've been through puberty. Uh, another line that I think is funny. Um, Michael Cole simply says, Kurt's not making any friends, <laughs> which is like a kind of understatement here. And then he's excoriating every person that he's seen uh, uh, come through his match on Sunday. And then he says he's going to win the titles all by himself when it comes to Survivor Series. So Eddie and Chavo interrupt. They have no music. Uh, and they take issue, as you can imagine, with the insinuation that they don't speak English. <laughs> so um, they plan to win on Sunday. And uh, Eddie also goes to point out, he says, hey, I beat you recently, Krangle. And then Edge and Rey Mysterio also come out. Uh, no music, too. And, uh, and kind of maybe, at least maybe they were hanging out before. You know, we talked about their professional relationship before. Maybe they're hanging out. Maybe that'd be cool. And so they remind Angle they won the tag team titles from him and Chris Benoit. And then Edge adds a very helpful, you suck. 
Angle says that clearly everyone is here because they want to uh, scout him before Sunday. And uh, he says, okay, fine. I invite you. You guys can all sit here at ringside. And then he says uh, to Benoit to bring his gap tooth butt out here. Kurt Angle being very quotable here tonight. And so we take a commercial break and the tag teams have grabbed steel chairs, not to hit each other with, mind you, but just to sit down on them. And so at kind of in front of the hard camera, closest to us, we see uh, ben, uh, the Guerreros. And then on the far side, there's uh, Edge and Rey Mysterio. So Kurt Angle and Benoit, well, they do some chain wrestling to start. And they do so there's some knockdowns and Kurt goes for a leapfrog, but Benoit stops short. So they kind of have like a little, uh, a little detente there. And then Angle hits a German suplex. And then he turns and he tells the Guerreros, hey, watch closely here. And so Benoit gets some chops in off the roast. Angle hits a belly to belly to Benoit. And uh, he doesn't cover him because he just goes to brag more. He's just kind of just chatting up the Guerreros being like, hey, look at me. I'm great the whole time. Um, Benoit gets a big shoulder block knockdown on an Angle for two. as is a backbreaker. Uh, Angle does what I can only describe as a Bret Hart style turnbuckle bump which is where you get whipped into it and you go, you don't like turn and put your back into it. You just run chest first and fall down like you get shot. Uh, and then it gets clubbed down after that as well. And then uh, Benoit, he, he joins in this whole thing as well, where he he takes issue with Edge. He goes out, yells at him. He even goes outside. He gets, leaves the ring, stands on the floor to yell at uh, Edge and Rey Mysterio. And so Kurt Angle follows. And so Benoit simply just tosses him onto Edge and Ray. And then they go splat. They fall out of their chairs and everything like that. Um, which I thought was great. Beautiful. Uh, back in, Benoit hits two German suplexes on Angle, but then Angle blocks, and he reverses the waist lock, and he gets three Germans of his own. He, pins, he covers Benoit for two. Uh, Angle Have then you drops... ever seen so many German suplexes in a match? I mean, I think there was yeah. like seven? Seven total? or eight. Yeah, probably. Um, I mean, at this point, we've seen... The problem is that now we've seen later era uh, Lesnar matches where there's like 12. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. But it's on Brock Lesnar match. Sure. But it's it's. I gotta say, it is funny to take notes on it because I'm like, okay, Benoit gets two, and then I highlight the word two, and I'm like, okay, do I write three? Because I don't want to lose track of how many times he does it. <laughs> like, oh, but he just gets reversed. Okay, so he does hit two, and then Benoit, and then Angle gets one, two, three. He does get three, uh, which is good. Uh, um, where? Okay. Yes. Yeah, so Angle drops his straps, and he's waiting for Benoit to stand. He wants to get an angle slam in. Uh, he brings uh, Benoit for an angle slam, but he rolls Angle. Um, Benoit rolls out of it, and instead, Benoit gets Angle in a cross face. And so Angle counters it with an ankle lock, so he's kind of he's trying to grab the feet that are kind of holding his arms in. And so uh, Benoit tries once and then twice to kick Angle off, but Angle just holds onto it, and he's just like, he's just, a, he's just on him like a dog, which is great, dog with a bone. And a third attempt, however, knocks Angle off of him. Uh, Angle connects with an Angle slam on Benoit, uh, but there's no cover because Angle goes to yell at the Guerreros. And then, probably the best moment of the night, I would say, Angle, then he gets Benoit, and he gets a very pointed lasso from El Paso on Benoit as he stares down Eddie. And while he has Benoit in that move, he yells to Eddie Guerrero, this move sucks. <laughs> Which he's doing to him in that moment. With Eddie is like so bad about it. He charges the ring. Angle simply tosses him out, which leads to this brawl uh, between Ray and Edge and Eddie and Chavo outside. And in the midst of this chaos, uh, the Benoit hits a big German release suplex on Angle, flips him all the way the hell over. And uh, the brawl that was outside spills inside, and then referee by Kyoto, he just has to throw the match out. I don't know if it's a double disqualification. I would assume it's a no contest. It's never announced. Uh, I care about these things, though, so you guys should announce it sometime. And so we get we get all sorts of fun moments here. So everyone's brawling, and then uh, Rey Mysterio gets an ankle lock on Angle, 
And then Edge hops on and gets the other leg. And so Ray Angle is tapping furiously as the tag the team. Double champion. ankle lock. Yeah. Double ankle lock, which would be very, uh, like, considering how well they make the ankle lock seem painful, two seems un- untenable. I mean, would it be exactly twice as painful? Interesting question. Or does, it, or does pain not really work like that? <laughs> the, 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 maybe. The nature of pain. I think there's a button <laughs> somewhere. There's a nature of pain on my shelf here. Uh, also, I wanted to know if I was those guys, I want to ask Angle after. He's like, okay, which one hurt more? Like, who did it better? Oh, yeah. um, and then uh, Edge gets a crossface on Benoit, and I half expected Ray to come and do the other arm for Benoit, too, but no, they don't do that. Um, and so Angle then gets an ankle lock on Eddie Guerrero. Benoit gets a crossface on Edge, and more rest hit the ring. They're trying to rip the guys off each other. And Angle and Benoit, as everybody else is gone, they do the, the very the forehead to forehead stare down thing where they're pressing each other's foreheads into each other. And uh, which always, I, I would say, I think it always looks very intimate. Because a lot of physical connection, and it's very like there's a lot of physical movement, uh, kind of pressing against I each mean, other. I mean, I wouldn't, I would want to be in that situation with anyone, right? Except yeah. maybe some, someone you love. Yeah. Uh, uh, now that said, Angle backs off and extends a hand for a handshake. It's uh, ooh, he's going to shake his hand. He does. Benoit shakes the hand, and then Angle does kind of does the the physicality of all right. Well, you know what? Let's hug. He just says, you know what? <laughs> Bring it in. Bring it in for the real thing, brother. And so Benoit gets him where it looks like, uh, what what are you doing? And Angle just hugs him anyway. And Benoit gives a little weird back pat. And then Angle tries to like grab Benoit's arm and he's like, no, no, really like hug me, hug me back. I want him back. <laughs> this is a very funny moment. It's a nice little unique segment here, right? We have this match, and the match is happening, and they're building up other matches, and there's comedy happening, and it ends with Angle and Benoit teasing the possibility that maybe they're gonna get along and figure this whole thing out. And um it's a beautiful hug between two guys who absolutely, their- yeah, yeah. And I thought that Chris Benoit's obvious discomfort at being hugged uh, was absolutely perfect. Uh, normally, I would have been upset that there was a no contest finish to such a great match, but the brawl afterwards was so good. And then with the emotional conclusion, that I can't be upset about it. Yeah, it, it sends everybody home happy. It's true. Mm-hmm. Such a good point. So Brock Lesnar is walking backstage. He's on his way to the ring. He's going to call up Big Show. Uh, Heyman takes issue with Lesnar, and Paul, Brock Lesnar shows him against some equipment. And then we see a split screen. We see Big Show is also making his way down to the ring. So I, I imagine at some point we should they should just run into each other there. You'd imagine if they're both heading. Like, arena's not that big. I guess they come from opposite directions still. Mm. We come back from a commercial, and uh, Taz talks about how, good, uh, how he got Scott Steiner on this weekend's episode of Confidential. Not Jerry Lawler, as Jerry Lawler claims on Raw. <laughs> okay. I don't know what that episode of Confidential was like, but apparently Scott Steiner was on it. And then we hear that Always by Saliva is the theme for Survivor Series. And then we go for a rundown of what's coming up with Survivor Series. And so, Chris, we'll run through it here. We've got uh, Big Show against Brock Lesnar. And Big Show has a beard in this graphic. I don't know where this is from, but it's not from recent because, like we said earlier, Big Show has an insane mustache at this point. Um, Trish Stratus versus Victoria in a hardcore match for the women's title. I think one of the the few, uh, especially early on then, they almost never would have hardcore matches. Um, yeah, and Victoria. Uh, Victoria coming back in 2021. Yeah, incredible. And looking and perfect, too. Uh, and then there's the, the triple threat tag team title match. We just saw the big brouhaha over. There's a six-man tag team tables match between Bubba Ray, Spike Dudley, and Jeff Hardy against Three Minute Warning and Rico, um, which sounds incredibly random, but it's not nearly as random as Goldust and Hurricane versus William Regal and Lance Storm, um, which you might not be surprised to learn that that ends up going on heat instead of the actual pay-per-view. And it's three <laughs> minutes. So... Um, no shock there. And then Billy Kidman versus Jamie Noble for the Cruiserweight title, which we saw earlier. 
And then there is the Elimination Chamber match from Raw featuring Triple H, Shawn Michaels, RVD, Chris Jericho, Booker T, and Kane. And the, the announcer SmackDown even make a point. They go, you know, props for Raw because that sounds cool. <laughs> it's like they usually hate talking about Raw, but they're like, you know what? We want to see the Chamber match too. And so we get to uh, what is sometimes called the main event promo here. And so Brock Lesnar comes down to the ring alone. And Taz says, here comes the pain, which I don't think we've heard that many times before. It's maybe one of the first times Taz has said it, even though that becomes something that he would say with great frequency. So Paul Heyman is running behind Brock Lesnar, trying to talk him out of it. But he's like clearly not uh, – has not come out with Brock Lesnar. He's, he's behind him. So Brock tells Big Show to get his big ass down here, his words. And uh, Brock Lesnar is shirtless. His ribs are taped up within an inch of their lives. They're incredibly taped. And so Paul Heyman tries to wrestle the mic away from Brock. And Brock says, shut up, Paul, which shocks Paul Heyman, which I would be shocked too. Brock says if Big Show doesn't come out, he's going to drag him out there. And so he kind of he, so he goes to leave, but uh, Big Show comes down. And he's walking out with a vengeance, complete with pyro. And then this segment, this moment here is kind of crazy, Chris. And I want to see if you caught what I caught here. Mm-hmm. So so they, they, they come to blows right in front of the ring. And so um, Brock then kind of drives Big Show or kind of spears him into the steel steps. Now, it's subtle. Did you see this, that when the Big Show's on the ground, he notices his arm is like punctured? I did not notice that. I mean, I noticed the blood later, but was his arm punctured after hitting the steel steps? Yeah, so this is what's crazy, and they show it again a little bit later on. So Big Show gets run into the steel steps, and the steel steps, are they're actually steel. They're actually sharp. Um, you know, if you really want to be safe in there, you just have to hit the side, and you know, he hit the side, they move, they bounce. But what happened, I, because we saw it, is that Big Show hits at an angle where uh, his forearm, kind of the, the or like uh, the meaty part of his forearm, hits a part of the uh, part of the stairs, and there's a hole in it because when Big Show, you see that when you see the replay, he hits the stairs and he instantly touches his arm reflexively. Big Show does, and then when he's on the floor, you see he looks at his arm and it just starts to pour blood out of it, like as if you just turn on a faucet like a little bit to get a steady stream. Just blood starts coming out of his arm. It's not supposed to. And Big Show's like, "What?" Uh, which is crazy. But we barely has time to really react to it because um, Brock grabs a chair and cracks Big Show over the head with a chair shot. And then he hits him again. And the chair is dented. They're yeah, like, those chair shots looked awfully stiff. And that's something that you oh, yeah. you don't really see anymore on, on WWE is, is, is a headshot. Um, <laughs> I mean, unless it's like a WWE referee. I mean, they can get knocked in the head and suffer all sorts oh, yeah. of um, uh, uh, concussions. But uh, otherwise, not not for a wrestler. I, I mean, this whole thing didn't terribly impress me uh, because, like, if you're throwing around a seven-foot man, you're not going to throw him towards something that's maybe three feet tall. So, I, like everything about the big show, just really awkward um, seeing, like, someone trying to throw a seven-foot man uh, to, towards something which is which is much much shorter than him and and perhaps that's that's why um he ended up getting bloodied up was because it was like he had to almost force himself to trip so that he could even land on the steel steps right well and you know they'd be limited about what they can do with them there um you know and i think and they go for the chairs instead so instead of the you know kind of throw him into some environment you know, they hit him with the chair once, twice, um, and then he, he kind of does some pretty stiff shots with him when he's uh, kind of doubled over as well. Um, and you see Paul Heyman, he's shocked by Brock's violence. And Michael Cole even says, the giant has been slain here tonight. 
And uh, when we're looking at the replays, we can even see the Big Show's arm skin is like weirdly bunched up around his punctured arm. Like it looks like it was pretty bad. Um, and uh, so, yeah, Big Show is like he's bleeding. He's got his uh, on his arm. He's got blood on his head from getting hit with the chair. Uh, and Brock raises belt triumphantly as we go uh, off the air. And honestly, I, I like the segment because Big Show has kind of gotten the edge on Brock Lesnar. And the whole thing has been like, oh, Brock Lesnar can't beat the Big Show as the thing. And then we see the Big Show get like pretty humbled in this moment. And you're like, oh, maybe Brock has a chance, right? Because they like, they really, they, 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 they for, they really started all the stuff with, hey, Brock can't beat Big Show, can't beat him. And then they kind of, at the end, they're like, well, maybe he can. Um, which kind of makes the whole time it's kind of like, I think he probably could. I mean, I don't, I don't have any doubt about Ooh. it. Mm. Yeah. See, you know what? I, I think that they needed to continue doing what, what they were trying to do with Paul Heyman and, and building up Big Show to seem like a, a credible contender against Brock Lesnar. So I was actually really surprised to see Brock kind of uh, emerge as like the underdog. Brock yeah. isn't a very natural underdog figure, and that's what they're trying to do here. It's true. Um, they, they're trying to give him something that doesn't naturally fit. That's very good. Very good point. After this episode, I can't say I was terribly excited about their uh, upcoming match in the way that I, I could say that I'm, I genuinely want to see this triple threat match that's that's going to be happening for the tag titles. Right, right. Um, so that was the episode of SmackDown. Now, before we talk about before our preview next show, which is Survivor Series Season 2, uh, Chris, do you have any final thoughts on it? Was you know, would you say the show is? Uh, would you recommend watching it? Like a, a just bring it to use our ratings parlance here. Would you say ah, I wouldn't say much about it? So you shut your mouth, or would you say ah, I wasn't good. Here comes the pain. Did you like the show? What do you rate it? I felt that there was only two good things about it, and that was the uh, the Eddie Guerrero Rey Mysterio match. Um, and then, of course, the Chris Benoit-Kurt Angle match. So apart from that, I'd say skip everything else. So I guess I have to give it sort of a midway shut your mouth because I do think those two matches were worth watching. And for me, Kurt Angle really stole the show um, throughout both his work in the ring and on the mic. I thought he was hilarious. And... You know, watching these episodes of SmackDown from 2002 give me a whole new appreciation for Kurt Angle that mm. that I didn't think that I really had. You know, I think he's an absolute genius. Yeah. So there you go. You give it kind of a, a slight shut your mouth there. See, I would say for me, it's an easy just bring it, um, you know, and, and for the same, same reasons. Right. Uh, I liked Eddie Ray a lot. Uh, I like the Benoit angle match, the fun little sideshow with it. I like the ending, which I was not looking forward to. And I was like, well, I don't even know what this is going to be. And I really got me excited for uh, for the show there. Um, you know, different takes, different strokes for different folks, as they say. So it's just bringing for me. I mean, I would also just say, like, if you're going to watch the show, if there's a point in the show where you're like, mm, this kind of seems like a moment where I can get like get up and get a drink and like get some chips. It's like, yeah. A Rikishi match, for example. Yeah, it's like go get your chips, like go get your bag ready for work tomorrow. Like, like you have a little bit of time to get some of this stuff done if you want. Don't want to pay that much attention to it. Uh, but otherwise, I would I would highly recommend it. And so yeah, so next week's show on the SmackDown Six podcast, we're talking about Survivor Series two thousand two. Uh, and so, you know, just as a programming note, as a reminder, uh, we're only going to be covering the SmackDown matches in detail here. Um, so that means you can watch uh, Jamie Noble versus Kidman, Brock versus Big Show, and then the. SmackDown six all members three way elimination tag team match. So 
Um, you can watch that. Survivor Series 2002 is an interesting show anyway. So if you want to check it out, you can do that. Elimination Chamber match. First Elimination Chamber match. Kind of historic. Have you ever seen Survivor Series 2002, Chris? I don't know if we talked about this before. No, I haven't. Have you seen this, oh. the Elimination Chamber match? Not that match either. No. No, not I have not. But um, because, yeah, this was the era where um, I wasn't watching. Yeah. So when I even saw the lineup of who was in that Elimination Chamber match, yeah, that's something that I want to see. Yeah. I don't know who wins it. Yeah, I would. I would recommend everybody like go ahead if you have time, go watch the whole Survivor Series 2002. Um, if you want to watch just for like kind of the, the big things, you know, obviously watch the big tag team match. Uh, big Show versus Brock is not a long match at all. It's actually like shockingly short, especially before we got to this era now where you can have a Brock Lesnar or Goldberg match where it's like four minutes long. And it's a main event, um, so you can like watch that. And the Elimination Chamber match is just interesting historically, right? There's all sorts of interesting things that happen in that match, so check it out. And so that's gonna be our show for next week. So uh, you can check us out. Uh, check us out then. If you don't watch it, you're gonna hear about it, which is gonna be great anyway. Um, so yeah, I just want to encourage you if you if you like the podcast, share it with a friend. You can uh, uh, give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Got some great ratings on there already. People being so good and positive about the show, which I love. Really appreciate that. And um, speaking of appreciate, Chris, I appreciate you. If we were in person and it was safe, I would give you a handshake, and then maybe I go. You know what? Bring it in for the real thing. And give you a hug. an uncomfortable Chris Benoit Kurt Angle. Um, I'll, I'm not a big hugger, so I'll be Chris Benoit in, in this situation. Perfect. I'm more of a Kurt Angle situation anyway. <laughs> so I will give that to you, Chris. Thank you for that. And, and listeners just know that I would, I would be trying to give you a hug right now if you let me. And that's going to do, that's going to do the rest of the show. So take that with you as you go about your weekend here. I hope you have a great Thursday if you're listening to it on Thursday. If not, wait a week and listen to it on Thursday anyway. And you can enjoy the SmackDown 6 podcast. Uh, Until next time, we'll see you for Survivor Series 2002 and uh, stay out of the way of steel chairs.